episode 268. Mitch Unfiltered. Hope everyone had a great Christmas. Hope you had a great Christmas. Couldn't have been better. I mean, I have carpal tunnel from opening so many <laughs> presents. It was just. Do you get presents? How does it work over at the, the Soden household? It makes me uncomfortable, but I do. You do? Yeah, my, my wife gets me a few things. and Yeah, then you got to go get your wife a few things. That's Therein lies the problem. <laughs> By the way, somebody well, who gets whatever she wants all year long anyway, just orders that Every shit. day is Christmas. <laughs> of course. Same with Piper. Every day. But, but even if you didn't get any gifts from her, you would yeah. still have to go get her gifts. Well, yeah, even if we agreed on it. Right. No, you don't want to do that. There is no agreement. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That agreement is the most bullshit agreement of all <laughs> of time. Of all time. There's never. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I did. Yeah, my wife comes up to me typically about four days before Hanukkah every year and says, Now listen. <laughs> <laughs> the same routine every year. <laughs> listen. Yeah. I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. Don't get me anything. Mm -hmm. And then if you go down the road of not getting anything, right. when everybody else is opening up gifts, the face. Yes. <laughs> I just I run my marriage, everything I do and say through the filter of her telling her new husband the shit about me. <laughs> really? That, that's how I think about everything. He didn't give me anything on Christmas. Is that after the divorce <laughs> or after the death? Yeah, well, either one. Are you dying? No, or uh, no, no. Divorce. For divorce. sure, divorce. Okay, yeah. yeah okay. Like if she were to leave me, all, all the shit she would tell her new husband that yeah, I did that was yeah, wrong. Really? He didn't get me any gifts. You walked around the house with headphones on. And, you know, <laughs> be a lot. So that's funny. I try to keep that in mind really? as I go through life. Is that yes. the way you, is you ask yourself that question For all the sure, time? sure, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do you like the week in between where we are now? The week in between Christmas and New Year's. No one's really working. Yeah. Everybody is like high on the holiday season. New Year's Eve is right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like the week in between. I don't know. Better in radio when I really wasn't working well, and getting paid. <laughs> um, that was awesome. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, but I, nobody works. It is a fun way. I mean, Megan's a teacher. She's off. Piper's off. So yeah, yeah. everyone's around yeah. and it's a blast. Yeah, New Year's comes before you know it. Yeah. You got to make plans. That's yeah. always the stress and pressure of that. So there's a lot of Mitches in your life. Uh, there's a few. Yeah. You got Mitch unfiltered. You got Mitch Levy. Yeah. You've got Mitch Hanniger. He True. was always a big fan favorite you always liked yourself some mitch Hanniger. Oh, sure, yeah, and yeah. now you've got yourself mitch garver how you feeling about mitch garver <laughs> i was gonna give you another mitch, mitch is coming to town oh, mitch album is that mitch a album there's one in my Tuesdays life days with maury yes right? sir yeah yeah, yep. yeah he's always a funny i'm sorry who was the funny, mitch you just funny said? looking fella uh is there something going on with the ears yeah there might be something because he wears that hairstyle yeah he's covering sure. something I, yeah i think so but this is the holiday season we don't want to point those true. things out very true mitch garver okay never heard of him Gary Garver, I've heard of. Yeah. But this is not him. This is Mitch Garver. Who's Gary Garver? I don't know. Isn't that a baseball player? Or that something? would be Gary Carter. Uh, no, no, no. I know who <laughs> Gary Carter is. Isn't there a Gary Garver? No. Gary Gaetti? Oh, the twins. He was yeah. fantastic. I don't know Gary yeah. Garver. I, I know him about Are as well as I know. Are you making something up Yeah, here? maybe. Okay. But uh, Mitch Garver sounds like you're making something up, No, too. no, no. Mitch Garver <laughs> is your newest Seattle Mariner, I'm here to tell you. Oh, good. It happened on Sunday right in the middle of all the football. Boom. You wanted him to spend? They spent. Okay. Two years, 24 million smackers for the former now DH slash catcher of the Texas Rangers. He's coming to Seattle. He will be your DH. 
He will be 33 years old this baseball season. He's a right-handed slugger. Anyone in their 20s available? Or are <laughs> no, we going no. AARP with everything? Well, you get a discount on those guys. You do? Okay, well, I didn't we, know we that. We shop yeah. at certain stores when we're the Mariners. <laughs> I think we all know that by now. So it's Shohei and then Mitch Garver, right? What's the, the thing, the outlet, the greatest shopping outlet? or uh, Is it Grocery Outlet? I yeah, think I think it it's might... Grocery Outlet. There's a I food see... for less. Every I time know. I go in there, I see John Stanton. <laughs> <laughs> he loves Loves a nice deal, doesn't he? Well, <laughs> Wait, there, this this meat's going to expire in two days, half off. Oh, I like that in. myself. <laughs> I come home and my family's here, like, okay, we're e- we're eating burgers tonight because we only have one night to eat them. Right, I got them in the clearance section. That's right. Yeah. Before it turns uh, gray. Mitch Garver, yeah, two years, twenty four million. He will be thirty three years old this baseball season. He's a right hander who last year for the. For the world champion Texas Rangers, he comes with a ring. 270, had a 370 on base percentage, 500 slugging, had 19 home runs hot shot okay. in only 344 at bats. Okay. So that's kind of, sort of, a 35 home run season if you have the, the requisite 600 at bats or you 600. Extrapolated out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. gotcha. He okay. was two for 19 in the World Series. Okay. I don't know what he's going to hit for the. For the Mariners in the World Series during his Mariners career. <laughs> we'll see, yes. But uh, he is the newest member of the Seattle Mariners. He will be your DH just about every night. And then he could also get behind the plate every once in a while. But as we know, he's an old man because they got him at grocery yes. bargain discount or whatever that's called, whatever that store is called. So. Yeah. Oh, and he strikes out a lot. Remember, we, we said we don't want guys that strike out a lot anymore. Oh, yeah. That's why Gino left. He well, out yes, much. yes. He struck out. Uh, Mitch Garver, Mitch Unfiltered Garver, struck out 82 times in 344 plate appearances. That's a 24% rate. Now, you might be wondering, 24% high? Is it middle? Is it low? Mm -hmm. Well, compare him to Teoscar Hernandez, who's no longer with the team, and Gino Suarez, who you just mentioned, who's no longer with the team. They both struck out 31% of their plate appearances. This guy is a a 24% strikeout per plate appearance guy. Am I supposed to be excited about that or not excited? Or I don't know. You tell me how to feel and I'll feel it. I'm I'm done feeling on my own information. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I'm just giving you the information that the Seattle Mariners opened up the checkbook. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah. It was out an outlet store. It was out there in like North Bend or wherever oh, they yeah. were. Yeah, they have great the, ones out there. Oh yeah, sure. The Black and Decker store. I mean, oh, forget it. God. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> the Black know. and Decker. <laughs> I don't know if that's still there. <laughs> Jerry Depoto shopping in the Black and Decker store. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Mitch Unfiltered is available everywhere. Subscribe on any podcast platform: Apple, Spotify, Google. Listen and rate and review us. Hopefully, five stars. It really helps. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at MitchUnfiltered.com. I know Christmas is over, but you can do it for a loved one. It's a terribly inexpensive late Christmas gift, five bucks a month, and your loved one can hear our bonus shows like Peace Shows with Danny O'Neill, Shooting the Shit with Slick, Around the NFL with Randy Mueller, The Seahawks, No Table, and then when we we get to new seasons, we have new shows. Beat the Boys, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Week 17 Hot Shot is coming up. Yes. Only two more weeks to go Uh in the Beat the Boys competition and our bet. Do you have the guts to look at the standings? I never look at the standings. See, I have no clue. I never look at the standings. It's like when you're playing pinball, I try never to look up to my score in pinball. I'm always trying to concentrate on the ball and the flippers and the paddles and all that good stuff. A timely reference we all get. 
Yes. I think everybody gets pinball, that. Pinball, we do. Okay. Pinball. Pinball, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I owe you uh, three games. Okay. Fireside Home Solutions owes you three games. There are only six left to pick. Week 17-3 and week 18-3. Everybody who beats us gets a prize. The grand prize winner will receive $1,000 cash. Good. The three games this coming week will be, and oh, 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 the Dolphins at the Ravens. Oh. Potentially for the number one seed in the AFC. I don't see that one going well. Uh, the Saints at the Bucks, The Falcons at the Bears. And I'm going to give you the password, and you're not going to know what I'm talking about and why. I'll explain later in the other stuff segment. The password is Zoom. Remember the show? Oh, Zuma, Zuma, Zoom. And she, that one girl did We're the thing with zoom, her arms. Zoom, Zoom, Zuma, yeah. Zoom. Yeah. She did that that's cool not, thing with her arms. The reason. Yeah, I don't know the thing with her arms. Oh, no. it's fantastic. I, I'd like to see her do it now at her, whatever age <laughs> she is. It was awesome. So just Z-O-O-M. Lowercase Z-O-O-M, and you will know why at the beginning of the other stuff segment, our password for the Beat the Boys is Zoom this week. I'm a big sports fan, so I do know why. You do? Oh, sure. You betcha. I love sports. Well, it's, this is this uh, this is a little more obscure than your normal. How do you know? I told you I'm a huge sports fan. <laughs> I, I eat, breathe, and sleep it all day long. That's I'm all I'm guessing doing. most of the people listening right now to this podcast, wherever they might be and what other, whatever device and platform they're listening on, yeah. I would say the majority have no idea why the password is Zoom. And that's why and I'm, you're sitting there. That's why I'm hosting, like goddammit. The cat who ate the fucking canary. That's right. <laughs> Exactly what I was going to say. Not really. <laughs> Episode 268 guests on this show. Brady Henderson from Nashville, Tennessee on the Seahawks. They did it. They're eight and seven, and they now control their own destiny for a playoff spot in the NFC so that we can retain the coach and the coaching staff and turn around and do this all over again oh, in God. 2024. Yeah. Rick Neuheisel, the final preview as the countdown is on now. To the college football playoffs. Yeah, it's college football playoff week. It's Husky week. This Game is week. 268. When we get together for episode 269, mm -hmm. we will know if Washington is in the national championship oh. game of college football. We will record episode 269 right after the college football playoffs end and the Sugar Bowl ends. And I'll I'll have a few final remarks to you in segment one. And New Eisel will give you previews to both games. He'll give you picks to both games. He'll tell you why so-and-so is going to win. Good. You want to hear New Eisel on this episode 267. Or is this 268? This is 268. And then RJ Eskinos, Emerald City Hockey, on now the somewhat surging Seattle Kraken. But episode 268 doesn't happen, Hotshot, without our partners, our sponsors, like the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Looks like interest rates are moving in the right direction. Maybe it's time to jump in for a refinance, make some difficult decisions. That's where Jordan Flowers and his Woodenville team come in. They make it so much easier. 425-890-2957. Daniel's broiler for this week between Christmas and New Year's Day. There's not much better, and you really should consider the original location in Leshai because it just reopened after a major facelift. It's our next stop for sure in the Levy family. Daniel's Broiler, you gotta love them. World-class steakhouses. Evergreen Golf Call. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza. 
Football season winding down now at Zeke's. Specials every football game day at all Zeke's locations. Now Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays. $10 off of all orders of $40 or more at all Zeke's locations by using the code PIGSKIN10. Homegrown in the Northwest. John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition. Your Week 17 password, Zoom. All lowercase, one word, a thousand bucks from Fireside Home Solutions to the winner, and everyone who beats us wins a prize. Check out a new fireplace or garage doors at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Episode 268, as we reflect on the Seahawks win and preview the Dogs and Texas, it begins right now unfiltered they've always played that way even with richard sherman and camp chancellor especially with them brandon browner whether it doesn't matter who the names are back there yeah they essentially grab and push and shove and dare the officials to call it every single down unfiltered it's 35 nothing it's like 10 30 every eagles fan under the sun is like shit face totally shit that sounds right and as i'm peeing the guy next to me who's like waving who's like wobbling back and forth <laughs> Says, got to see I can hear him muttering. He says, Seattle. They're not even in the fucking continental <laughs> United States. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 268 now, Hotshot. Officially underway on this week in between Christmas and New Year's. And I'll start with a question. Okay. Are we celebrating the Seahawks because they pulled one out on the road, grabbed a hold of their playoff hopes, controlled their own destiny, got to 8-7, and 120-17. It's hard to win on the road in the National Football League. Or are we bagging on them because we're still pulling our fucking hair out <laughs> with the same shit over and over and over again? The penalties. Oh, Lord. The bad offensive play calling, yep. the unwillingness to use the center of the field. I keep asking, yep. use the freaking middle of the field. They throw everything to the sideline. What about the opponents? Did they ever use the middle? The, or all the time? Okay, all the time. Yeah, I think your buddy Tyler Lockett, and I'm not in your camp on Tyler. You're you're kind of a Tyler Lockett hater. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say that. But. Boy, it sure seems that as he gets older, and he had a great game on Sunday. Yeah. I think he had eight catches. Doesn't it seem like as he gets older? He stays closer and closer to the sideline. Every ball that he catches, yep. he catches and then dances out of bounds. Yeah. Catches on the sideline, dances. They don't. And when they sent him over the middle, what game was it where he dropped the ball? I think it was against the Rams. He had the ball right in his hands in the middle of the field. I don't think he was accustomed to going over the middle. Alligator like, arms. Where, where the hell am I here <laughs> yeah. on the field? But boy, it sure seems like he stands. <sighs> precariously close to the sidelines on all of his catches. Business anyway, decisions on his part, I think. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they don't, the they don't, maybe they don't run him over the middle. Are we happy? Are we joyous? It's the holiday season. They've now won two in a row. You understand they won by the exact same score. The Monday nighter and then the one on Sunday, it was 17-13. That's right. And in the Eagles game, Locke took him down to win it 20-17. to Yep. And then it was 17-13 in Tennessee. And Geno Smith took him down. Colby Parkinson in the end zone for a touchdown. Are we happy 
Or are we annoyed that they put us through this because they should be blowing they should be blowing a team like Tennessee out with their backup quarterback and they have nothing to play for and all of their guys out on defense? Which one? Well, we always I mean you've always said it's it's hard to rip a team that gets a win in the NFL. It's tough have to I do always on said the that? road. Well, yeah, like if the Seahawks win, we shouldn't sit and nitpick it for four hours on you. I kind of want to sit and nitpick this for four hours. The offensive line couldn't block anybody in the run game. In the run game. Kenneth Walker was fighting for... Yes. Every time he got the ball, his first move was behind the line of scrimmage to to dodge somebody who got through. If you, wearing your old number 43 uniform from Issaquah High School, if you were the running back on that day, in your prime, in your best, you would have had, and you had the exact same situation as Kenneth Walker, you would have gained four yards total the entire game. That was the greatest 54-yard performance Ever. in NFL history. Yep, you're right. He had no business gaining any yards on any of those plays. Nope. I mean, if I'm him, I'm coming to the sidelines going, guys, I know. please, yeah, the O-line help should, me out a little bit. They should be giving up half their game check, and that should all go to – because they didn't do Correct. shit to earn Correct. it. Correct. Poor Correct. guy was fighting for his life back there. All right, there's nitpick number one. Backup quarterback? I don't know. I just uh, – I'm not this sure. team did not look good to me at oh, all. Oh, they're not good. They're not good. I'm not sure. You, you remember when the Seahawks played the Panthers here earlier in the year and Bryce Young didn't play in that game? I'm trying to remember who did play. Oh, it was Andy Dalton. That's right, Andy Dalton. And we wondered, yeah. <laughs> we wondered, did the Seahawks really catch a break by the, the starting quarterback being hurt? Or potentially did they play a more difficult out in the backup quarterback? People like Will Levis. I and I. Well, who am I to say? He went down to my Miami Dolphins on Monday night a couple of weeks ago and brought him back from 14 down in the fourth quarter to win the game. I have not seen a lot from Will Levis, so I don't see there being a big difference between Ryan Tannehill and what Will Levis would have done if he were in the game. I might be on my own on that. Tannehill doesn't do much for me. Not anymore. Yeah, not not this year. He's just not. Well, he the didn't. Same did he guy. do much? He ran around a little yeah, bit. He made a couple of plays. But the Seahawks did okay defensively. They held him to 17 points. The receivers, the wide receivers of the Titans, and they're not any good. Hopkins yeah. isn't any good anymore. But they had like six catches the whole the whole game. All of the catches were made by the tight end and the running backs. They got good pressure on them. Looks like Derrick Henry got going a little bit. A little bit, yeah. They weren't great in run defense. Yeah. I didn't think the Seahawks were that great in run. But they lost Jordan Brooks. Yeah. And I think even the the biggest Jordan Brooks basher would say probably the one game you don't want to lose Jordan Brooks is a game you're playing Derrick Henry. Yes, that makes sense. It feels to me like Jordan Brooks would be vital in a game where you're playing a guy like Derrick Henry. So when he goes out and then nobody wants to hear this in this town, but Jamal Adams doesn't make the trip. And now everybody will say, well, we don't need Jamal Adams. He might've actually helped him on Sunday. Yeah. I don't know if he can make a tackle anymore, but but they needed guys like that to contain Derrick Henry. So they get out of there 20 to 17, and you want a nitpick. Like the, the first half or the first three quarters on Twitter, this team is shit. It's not a playoff team. They don't blah, blah, blah. And then they get the win. And like, what are we supposed to do now? Meanwhile, we, we, all, we thought, thought this was a shitty team for three quarters. Yes. They get the win. They so did I'm get supposed the win. to get excited about playoffs. Is this a playoff Boy, they, team that's going to go deep? They tried to lose it. They sure did. Yep. That the last penalties oh and my all, God. stop with the penalties. How many times on like third and 11 when they have the other team stopped? Am I going to see yeah. a legal contact on the defense? That's an automatic first down. Thank God the Titans were almost as bad 
they yeah, had they, some shitty penalties. They actually penalties had too. more penalties yeah. than the Seahawks. Yeah. Thank God we yeah. played a team like that. Otherwise, they would definitely would have lost. So the Seahawks are eight and seven. Yeah. The win over the Titans. Here's a little Mr. Playoffs for you. The win over the Titans combined with the Vikings loss at home to Detroit means the Seahawks now are eight and seven. They're in a playoff spot if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about. But more importantly, if, and this is a big if, the Seahawks can beat the Steelers this weekend and then go to Arizona. <laughs> there it is. And beat Kyler Murray. The God. one thing you've got going for yourself in that game yeah. is the Cardinals could be playing for the number one overall pick in the draft. They they might need a loss. No, that's not going to help I think it yet. works that way in the NFL. I think it works no that way. Gonna, no one's going to. They got a first-year coach who doesn't care. He's not on the hot seat. What's he going to do? Put Kyler Murray at center? I mean, he's not going to. No. The guys he, are going to play their same positions. I don't know. And, Kyler Murray may not want to lose it because he might lose his job if they lose. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But <laughs> when they struggle with the Titans, all I could think about was you reading the last three games on paper. I mean, on paper. easy, easy, easy. And here they are dicking around with the Titans well, the whole game. You knew, I they'll mean, dick around with the Steelers and then they'll lose to the Cardinals. That's how that will go. Will they lose to the Steelers? No, I think they'll, they'll mess around with them and barely beat them. Yeah. And then lose to the Cardinals? Yes. Really? That's my prediction. A team that's looking at the number one overall, like the worst record yeah. in all the NFL? I mean, Never. the Cardinals know they can spoil it. I'm sure it'll come down to that, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. The Cardinals know that they're going to... Should it's... I make plans for the ballet right now for that Sunday? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just don't buy your Super Bowl tickets yet. Well, Mr. Playoffs is here to tell you that if they win against Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and they win against Arizona, they will be a wild card team. They will clinch a spot in the NFC playoffs, and they could be... If they win those two games, they could be as high as the sixth seed. Okay. Not the last wild card. Right. Team. It would depend on what the Rams do between now and then if the Seahawks win those two games. Gotcha. But to win those two games, that would mean the Seahawks end on a four-game winning streak. It would be Philadelphia, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Arizona. That's a four. Would you call that a tear? Did they go on a tear? Is this team capable of winning four straight against anybody? If they were playing Issaquah High School in Newport, are they able to go over, go on a four-game winning streak? You could definitely beat Issaquah these days. <laughs> Newport. Uh no, you can beat Newport. Oh, is that right? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fine. You can beat Newport. Fair enough. I don't think they are capable, unfortunately. Sorry, Seahawk fans. I think they're going to drop the one to Arizona. Hope they don't, but I, I just... We've seen it time and time again. Then you must be curious for Mr. Playoffs if they... If they happen to go nine and eight and lose one of these next two, can they get in the playoffs that way? Yeah, that would be nice to know. I don't like your recipe of beat the Steelers, lose to the Cardinals, because then you're losing an NFC game and you're dropping to six and six in the conference. Right. I think if you're going to lose one, you better lose the Steelers this week and then beat the Cardinals, get to nine and eight that way. And I do think, as Mr. Playoffs, based on what Minnesota has left, Minnesota has to play the Packers. And then they have to play Detroit again. Oh, okay. And they play this time Detroit in Detroit. I don't know what Detroit would be playing for. Right. I would think seeding. I would think some sort of seeding in the NFC. But I do believe that a 9-8 and eight Seahawks team has a shot to get into the playoffs. Well, you said that in the summer, too. I do. Yep. I do. I, I think I was more convinced in the summer. <laughs> now that we're here. I not... don't know that I'm as convinced right now as yeah. Mr. Playoffs. But, yeah, I think that there's a shot that a 9-8 and eight Seahawks team, especially if it's a loss to the Steelers, beat the Cardinals 9-8, and eight, as opposed to beat the Steelers and, and lose, lose to the Cardinals. Cardinals yeah. yeah. Was there any part of you during the game that was kind of like, okay, we'll say at halftime. Yeah. Did you think, eh, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing what Locke can do? 
Was there any part of you? No, that I never thought of it. Never once. In fact, you saying it to me right now is the first time I've ever really even so given it. Gino's no. there. It's his team. It's because I think Gino's much better than Locke. Okay, I do. Much better. Um, you know, much is an ambiguous word. Yeah, yeah. It's a little vague. I am not a Gino basher. Everybody knows that. People are probably tired of it already. Yeah, they yeah. want me to keep bashing them. I don't think Gino is the issue on offense. Okay. Now, do I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL? No. Yeah. Do I think that they he should be the quarterback of this team next year? I don't know. But I don't know that Drew Locke gives him any better a chance to win than Gino. In fact, I don't think that. So I, I never thought at halftime they should put Drew Locke in. I don't yeah. necessarily disagree you with that? you, but I, I saw people on Twitter, of course, calling for it. And we should give Locke a try. Well, they have how many points they have at half? I think three. Three sounds right. Yeah. Three or six. Yeah. So I think people were like, okay. But was it because of Gino? Again. Probably not. No, there was no blocking. There I keep was a lot going of bad back. Play calling was. I keep awful. going back to the offensive philosophy. I just yeah. I don't know what the hell they're doing. I really don't know what the hell they're doing. Some really ill-conceived plays, some poor play calling. There was no running game, even though he was making as much out of it as he possibly could. Yeah, Kenneth Walker. No, I never thought about that. No running game. It's interesting you say that. But then on the last drive, yeah, he wants to do a draw and try to run the ball. Even though they haven't, I think it was the very yeah last drive. I think right. It's like Pete, you haven't been able to run it all day. Why now? Do you I, think I'm going to tell you? Why. I'm going to tell you why. Might have been second down. Well, this is when they're going down, needing a touchdown to win the game. Yeah, I actually like that. You do. If I'm a play caller, I use that. Yes. If you have enough time to stick a running play in that situation, I always like that. I always like Holmgren used to like that because you got the defense just not trying to give up a touchdown. Yeah. They're not thinking of running game. If there was ever a time to be able to pop a run in there for eight or 10 yards, that would be the time. And of course, it did not work. No, it did not. I mean, <laughs> he has, couldn't run the ball all game long, and now we're going to run it. It's supposed to work because the other team is not supposed to be looking for it. So, eight and seven, we'll see. Okay. Not the most impressive victory. No. Uh, a victory that. At halftime, we were all firing people again. So yep. they get through it. And this is the this is the Seahawks way to not beat anybody soundly, to not beat anybody like going away. Yeah. They've got to make everything very, very interesting, which I don't really need interesting at this stage in my life. No, I don't either. No, I don't I'm really want good that. with blowouts all day. Yeah. Now, the next time you and I are together. Yes. Will Washington be in the national championship game? Will they have just beaten Texas? <sighs> In the Sugar Bowl, they're still four-and-a-half-point underdogs. Yeah. In Vegas. I don't know if that means anything to you. I mean, I, I think if I had to bet it, I would take the points. I don't see them getting blown out by anybody or even by a touchdown. Well, four-and-a-half's not a lot of points, yeah. but yeah. I mean, yeah. I just I don't see someone sticking it to them. I, I think that it'll be a close game. I, I watched Texas the last couple of weeks. I kind of wanted them to lose so I would to make the playoff a little easier. You know, I just so I think Texas is good. I think they're you fast do. and physical, and I think it's going to be a tough game for Washington. But – how can you bet against a team that hasn't lost all year and beat Oregon twice and all they do is find a way to beat everybody? So it, it's tough. I don't know. I'm, I'm a Husky Would you rather fan. be playing Michigan? Uh, Michigan or Texas? Would you rather be playing Alabama? I think I'd rather play Michigan over Texas. Really? Yeah, I don't think Michigan's quite as good yeah. as, as they yeah. think they are. They haven't yeah. really played or beat. I mean, to beat Ohio State, is that a great Ohio State team? I don't know. Maybe it is. I might be blinded by my rooting interest, but you have the same rooting interest, and apparently yeah. you're not blind. Are you picking Texas to win? You think te if you're going to bet your mortgage, you're going to pick. You're going to bet Texas. I got to pick pick the winner. Straight yeah, just up the winner. Here. Just the winner. 
I need time to think about this because <laughs> I'm. A, it's so it's hard to. How much time do you need? Th- We've had two weeks I'm already. I'm taking the Huskies on the points. That we know for okay. sure. I'm taking okay. the Huskies on the points. Who's going to win the game? I think it's going to come down to a kick. I really do. I think it's going to be a close game, and and someone's going to either make or miss a field goal. Then I'm blinded by my rooting interest. Okay, I don't see it. Really, I don't see Texas. Huh? Yeah. And the more I do research and go back and watch highlights and go back and look at teams and opponents, the less impressed with Texas I am. Now, the one thing you've got to say is they went to Tuscaloosa in week two or three and won the game. They beat Alabama on Alabama's home field. Now, you put that aside and you say you tip your cap to that. The other part to that is Alabama wasn't even close to the team that it is right now. They were scuffling big time. They had been changing quarterbacks. They didn't know whether Milrow was going to make it. They barely won in like Central Florida or South Florida. They were not nearly the team that they are now. But you give Texas its credit for the win at Tuscaloosa. But then the more I look at Texas, the less impressed I am. I'm just not impressed with Texas. I'm not impressed with the Big 12. That's the first problem I have with Texas. Okay. I don't think Kansas is very good. I don't think Kansas State or Oklahoma State, these are the teams that they beat. These are the best teams that Texas beat outside of the Alabama game. The best three wins, Kansas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, all have lost at least four games going into the bowl season. They didn't beat an Oregon. Twice. Twice. Yeah. I don't think they beat a, an Oregon State. I think Oregon State's better than a lot of these teams that they've beaten. And then when you go into the box scores, how about this? Okay. Josh Hoover, the quarterback of Texas Christian University. Okay. 302 yards against Texas in a 29-26 loss to Texas. And didn't TCU lose to Colorado? TCU was terrible. Not a good team. No, not a good team. Okay. Will Howard of Kansas State in a loss to Texas? 327 yards and four touchdowns. Donovan Smith for Houston in a loss to Texas. Mm -hmm. 378 yards and three touchdowns. Rocco Becht. A guy named Rocco. (laughs) Yeah, right. Rocco Becht for Iowa State in a loss to Texas. 323 yards. Passing. Yeah. Dylan Gabriel threw a lot of yards against him when Oklahoma beat Texas. Alan Bowman of Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game that Texas won threw for nearly 300 yards. Everybody throws against Texas. And there's receivers, the wide receivers in these games. I could I could spout out those numbers. They all had big games against Texas. Now, with all due respect to Josh Hoover, Will Howard, Donovan Smith, and Rocco Becht, none of them are named Michael Penix Jr. Yeah. None of them have Roma Dunze. None of them have McMillan. None of them have the running game of Dylan Johnson. I mean, it's if these guys all threw for 300 yards against Texas yeah. in losses, what is Michael Penix and Roma Dunze going to do? Yeah, I like it. I don't see it. It's it's less about the Husky offense. I think they'll, they could score on anyone in the country. Right. I don't think their defense is great. The defense okay. scares me a little okay. bit. So it's, it's less about Penix. I mean, that guy can throw on it. He'll be throwing on NFL defenses one day. I'm not that worried about the offense. The defense, though, just... There's something about it that they don't have a... Well, they're not as good defensively as they are offensively. They don't have a Penix on defense. Like, that's what they need. They're they're, they're missing that one. But their defense always seems to be just good enough, Just good enough. You're right, yep. And is the Texas offense with Quinn Ewers, they do have a couple of really good receivers. Is it any better than the Oregon offense with 
with Bo Nix. That scored 30-plus points on them both times, right? I don't know. I can't remember what the finals yeah. were exactly. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. They did. Yeah, I mean, they did. They scored 30-plus on them. That that defense. I, but you're Hot right. Hot shot? I don't see it. Okay, good. I'm, I'm I don't see it. I think I'm Washington. You. I'm putting the hex on them. People are going to blame me. Go ahead. I think Washington's winning this game. Wow. I do. I think Washington's winning this game, and they're four-and-a-half-point underdogs, and the world thinks Texas is going to win. I think Washington's winning this game. Now, again, maybe you'd say, Mitch, you are severely blinded by the fact that you're rooting. I'm not rooting for Washington any more than you're rooting for Washington. Yeah. I don't know. I am not that impressed with Steve Sarkeesian's Texas Longhorns. And and furthermore, I'll say what I said at the beginning – I think the Big 12 was weak. Hmm. I don't think the Big 12 was anything. Kansas, Kansas they, State. Nah. Yeah. But they beat Alabama. They did beat Alabama. Yeah, but then you got done saying that Alabama was I a mess. No. There. They were in disarray. Yeah. So you're calling it. I'm calling national it. National championship. The next time you and I are together, I think Washington's playing in the national championship, and I think they're playing against Alabama. I think both underdogs, Alabama's the underdog to Michigan. I think both underdogs are going to win the game straight up. <laughs> and I think we're going to have Alabama and Washington in the national championship game. Mitch, they got the wrong Hold team favored. It. They got the wrong team favored in both games. I can't wait for that day. I'm Three just, interviews. Oh, it's going to be fun. And then the other stuff segment. Hey, look who it is. It's Lindsay Schwartz of Daniel's Broiler. I got to tell you, while my family was loving Thanksgiving at the downtown location, Lindsay's family was experiencing the less shy remodel after a couple of months. How'd it come out, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch. Happy holidays. Uh, it came out great. We had a great time. The space looks beautiful. The views are even better. There's more windows, bigger windows. We kind of rearranged the room and the furniture to take better advantage of the views. It's awesome. Uh, you got to check it out. You're going to love it. Yeah, we've already made plans. The Levy family has to check out the new remodel at Les Shy, the original Daniels Broiler. Now, Daniels starts with a D. December starts with a D. There's nothing quite like Daniels during the holidays, Lindsay. It's true. I mean, we talk about how we're great for celebrations all year long, but December is such a great month for celebrating. And all four locations have something unique about them during the holidays. Leshi that we just talked about, you can see the Christmas ships on certain nights. Nice. The Lake Union location, you can also see the Christmas ships. Bellevue's the gorgeous views. Downtown Bellevue's all lit up. You can do the Winter Wonderland, the Snowflake Lane next door. And downtown Seattle's looking good right now. It's all decorated for the holidays. So it just feels festive at all the locations and a great place to celebrate for sure. And if your office is looking for a spot for private parties, Daniel's Broiler offers the best opportunity. We love Daniel's Broiler at Mitch Unfiltered. Obviously, world-class steakhouses. It's the stretch run of the football season, which has been a good one at all of our favorite Zeke's Pizza locations Here's our buddy Dan Black. Dan, how are you? And how's the pigskin promotion going at all the Zeeks? Uh, I'm doing good, Mitch. Thanks. Uh, pigskin 10 has been super popular. It's been great. People have been using it like intended, mainly delivery and pickup orders. They're ordering it on football days, which is when it's active, which is Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So people, when they're watching their favorite team, watching games, uh, we've been getting tons of pigskin 10 orders, which as you know, is 10 bucks off an order of $40 or more. And uh, mm -hmm. like I say, it's, it's specifically meant to watch football. And as we head into the uh, NFL playoffs and bowl season and stuff, we may add some days that are important football watching days as necessary, and it'll run all the way through the Super Bowl. So yeah, it's been super popular and we expect it to keep going strong here for the next few weeks. Talking football, Dan, the last time you and I were together, 
your son, Hank, at the University of Texas. And here we go again. You guys banging heads in another bowl game. But this one's a big one, Dan, for the Black family. Oh, yeah. Uh, Black family bowl (laughs) (laughs) 2.0. You know, we were surprised as a family when it happened once. And, you know, the Huskies were pretty stoked after last year because we thought we would have perpetual bragging rights forever after winning the Alamo Bowl. But, you know, yeah, no, we're here we go again with much higher stakes. And, you know, both teams are really good. Everybody expects a good game. One thing I can say is that the Longhorn fans have a way better estimation of how good the Huskies are. They're definitely not as delusionally overconfident as the Duck fans were going into the Pac-12 championship. And the whole family will be there? Yeah, the whole family's going down to the Sugar Bowl, and we're looking looking forward to it. We, <laughs> I think like most Husky fans, we were would have preferred the Rose Bowl. But, yeah, we, we figured out how to get everybody down there. It won't be easy, but, yeah, we're all going to be down there. That's beautiful. And what's the what's the black family eating? What's what's Hank when he comes home eating? What kind of pizza are we getting at Zeke's these days? Okay, yeah, no. So Hank is a what we call a weird orderer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like I'm doing like Puget Pounders and Dragons and Wood Butchers. You know, kind of good winter type pizzas. Hank is a guy that'll do like a cherry bomb with a ranch base, or he'll do a buffalo soldier with some weird additional topping or whatever. I don't even pay attention. I don't. He, he always he. He usually gets his own medium or small, and the rest of the family <laughs> eats more normal stuff. Zeke's Pizza, ladies and gentlemen, for football season, all the way through the Super Bowl. Pigskin10 is the code. $10 off your order. Minimum order of $40. We love Zeke's Pizza. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. focus of our guys throughout the 60 minutes was exactly as we needed. We went in halftime and got serious about fixing things up and we made the defense fix some stuff up. Uh, we obviously got better on offense at halftime and then we came out and, and executed enough to, to get a win. Taco Time Northwest and their delicious corn chowder, not to mention their voracious appetite for new employees that love doing some work present the Seahawks no table. Well, kinda. Brady Henderson will be playing the role of both Brady Henderson in Nashville, Tennessee, and Brady Henderson will be playing the role of Brian Nemhauser, the Hawk blogger on this edition of the Seahawks No Table, which means you have to put on your Seahawks cap every time you plan to to speak as Brian. Are you up for the task? Yeah, wait, does this mean I have to to like go out of my way to disparage Drew Locke and Jason Myers as well <laughs> while I'm playing the role of Brian? Yeah, just don't mix it up. If you're gonna if you're gonna claim that Jake Bobo is the best wide receiver in the NFL, <laughs> make sure you do it on your time and not on Brian's time. Don't swap the roles, okay? Don't do it. Okay. All right. Uh, the Seahawks for a second consecutive week, almost a carbon copy of Monday night, down 17-13, just like Monday night, with the ball late, just like Monday night. Different quarterback. Long touchdown drive to pull the game out 20-17. to 17. Why Brady Henderson in Nashville, Tennessee? 
Did the Seahawks win that game on Sunday? Because this is the kind of game that they are built to win. They're not really built to go out there and blow a team out, I don't think, and and to look really good for four quarters and to look like a team that's going to make a deep playoff run. This is kind of the way you know they've played, and this is nothing new. This was you know the case for a lot of the time under Russell Wilson, where they'd sort of putz around for three and a half quarters and then ask their quarterback to pull out a late victory, and they've done it a bunch of times this season to the point where Geno Smith now has a place in NFL history with six. This is according to uh, not just our great stats people at ESPN, but also the great stats people at Elias Sports Bureau. Uh So he's got six go-ahead touchdown passes uh, in the fourth quarter or overtime this season, which is tied for the most in NFL history. Yeah, four, Four other quarterbacks have done that. And so some of that is just based on the opportunity to get the ball in your hands with the chance to do that. There's obviously other players on the field that are making plays. Uh, Your defense sort of has to put you in that position as well, but it also goes to show that Smith, for whatever issues he might have, and I still think that his future in Seattle is is in yeah. question, but yeah. Yeah. the guy has the clutch factor to him, and you're seeing that. Okay. You saw it again on Sunday. So if I had Brian Nemhauser here, my first question to him would be, should we be heaping praise on the Seahawks for pulling the game out on the road, grabbing a hold of their playoff hopes, or should we be pulling our effing hair out that it's the same shit over and over and over again that make these games close like penalties and penalties and undisciplined play and bad offensive philosophy and poor play calling. Which way should we be going, Brady or Brian or whoever you are right now? You know, I would probably answer this the same way that Brian did. So I'll just do a a one answer catch all and say that it's kind of the latter. And the way I really take that question is, does this win really give you confidence that they're poised to make any sort of a deep playoff run? No, I, I think most of what you saw Sunday were the flaws of a good but not great team and a team that is still undisciplined and that goes through these lulls where they can't pull their head out of their rear end. They weren't the most penalized team in this game. Uh, Tennessee got 10 for 97, but okay. Seahawks God. had six, six for 47 and two of them came oh my on, God. you know, the go ahead touchdown drive. Look, that, that's a, I think a tough play for Trey Brown where a veteran receiver in Deandre Hopkins just runs right at him. And I think that's a, you know, that is a, a veteran move right there to really put a cornerback in a bind. But or unnecessary roughness on Artie Burns. That's just ridiculous. And and look, the, I think the Titans player flopped and really sold it hard, but you're just not going to get away with that when you do it right in front of the official. And so between that and just scoring three points in the first two quarters, and again, they, they were actually, you know, okay on third down, seven of 13, which is really good yeah, for them. Yeah. But they allowed six of 12, couldn't really get off the field. Credit to them. They pulled out a win, but this was a game I don't think it should have been this close when you consider Why was it how close? De- Tennessee's got a completely depleted defense. I think they were missing eight starters, according to my guy, Teron, who covers for them, covers them for ESPN uh, starters on defense alone. And then again, not to mention missing their starting quarterback and Will Levis. So why couldn't the Seahawks do more offensively? I called Kenneth Walker's 54 yard day on Sunday, the greatest 54 yard day in the history of the national football league. I mean, I think a normal running back would have gained like, five yards he was making jukes he had to get out of the way of defenders in the backfield on virtually there were no holes the running game was non-existent in terms of run blocking and then you know again the pass game 
I still have the same gripe. Everything is to the sidelines. Everything is to the boundaries. Very little use of the middle of the field. They don't send Lockett to the middle of the field, almost because they're worried that he might break. He's always on the sidelines catching balls. He had a good day, but he's always catching balls on the sideline. Very little use of the slant. They went to it a couple times, and it worked to DK Metcalf. It seems like if it's not Jackson Smith and Jigba or a tight end, the Seahawks just have no use for the middle of the football field in their pass game. Yeah, this is another one where it'll be interesting to see uh, the heat map, and I think you may want to avert your eyes from that because it'll probably make you want to throw up. Yeah. But again, this is nothing new. You've been railing against this. I saw you rail against it on X, and I wondered if Shane Waldron may have actually seen your tweet because after that, they they did start to work the middle of the a field a little, bit more, bit more. a little bit more. Jackson Smith and Jigba had that big catch, I think, on third down, and then game winner to Parkinson, was that was sort of towards the numbers, I think maybe inside the numbers, but there were a few there. But yeah, by and large, it is kind of a mystery now going back to Russell Wilson I, I would have thought and, and that was you know again a, a big pronounced sort of part of his game was not really working in the middle of the field and the theory for the longest time was well as a shorter quarterback that's not really where the great sight lines are because you, you know, you've got to see over the taller offensive linemen and when you're looking to the perimeter you know your view is less obstructed there's not really a, a good explanation for why that's continuing to be the case uh, under Geno Smith. And and I don't know if that's Smith or if that's Waldron's play calls, right. just the design of their offense, whatever it is. But uh, it does feel like they just leave a lot of, of offense out there by not really attacking that part of the field. Some more accolades. We should throw a bouquet Colby Parkinson's way. That's a tough catch. He's got the guy draped all over him. I thought that there's clearly whatever you want to call illegal contact, defensive holding. The guy is all over him, and he's got to catch the ball with the guy draped on him. Great play by Colby Parkinson, maybe to save the season. Yeah, and and there was a lot of contact there, but I think he probably initiated some of it at okay. first, and they were okay. letting that go, you know, within the five yard window of the line of scrimmage. And so, I think they also saw that it was a six seven tight end against the five eleven cornerback, and they said, "Look, we you already got a big enough advantage against this guy, so we're going to let some contact go." But that was a play, Mitch, that they have had installed for the entire season and they have been waiting for an opportunity to run it. Uh, Gino said, it feels like they practice it every day. Uh, they, they get to it every day in practice uh, and in the red zone period on Friday, when they really hone in on mm -hmm. specific situations like that, they always throw that a couple times, right. just have not had the right opportunity to go to it. And they got a perfect chance, got a perfect matchup yep. uh, and they came through. If somebody asked you how the defense played on Sunday, you might scratch your head before you figure out an answer because in some ways it was great. I thought there was good pass pressure. They didn't need the blitz to get home. They had six sacks, I think, as a team. Mafe had a couple of them. They had some big sacks late in the game on the last drive when they're dropping a lot of people into coverage, so that was good. It seems like they got great coverage from Jackson, Woolen, Burns, and the rest because the wide receivers did very little for the Titans, although they don't have great wide receivers, the defense against the run. Eh, I thought Derrick Henry had a pretty good day on Sunday. How would you assess overall how the Seahawks defensively did? Good, not great, and good enough. Like and when you hold a team to 17 points, that should be good enough pretty much every time. Uh, and it barely was in this game, but they knew going into it, especially with a backup quarterback in Tennessee, that they were going to hammer the run game with Derrick Henry. And he didn't have as many carries as I thought he would end up with in this game. 19 for 88 yards, had the touchdown, also had the touchdown pass on the trick play. Holding him 
to under 88 yards on a day where you feel like he's really going to be the focal point of their offense. That's not bad. And, and, you know, so many of those yards that Derrick Henry gets is, you know, he he gets a full head of steam and he's going to pick up at least a few yards just by falling forward, if nothing else. And so they did a nice job to to not let him take the game over, to not let him break off any really long runs. I think his longest run was only 12 yards. They kept him from killing them. That's probably the one thing just overall they would have liked to stop Tennessee's run game a little more. Uh, Spears, the backup, average four and a half a carry. Yep. So they didn't kill him in the run game, and, and Tannehill certainly didn't kill him with his arm either. Not a great game to lose Jordan Brooks when you're playing against Derrick Henry. Brooks, you could say a lot about Brooks. You like him, you don't like him. He is a tackling machine. He does get in on a lot of tackles, and I would think the loss of, of him due to injury early in that game was problematic. Yeah, especially in a game where they they were already missing Jamal Adams, who's basically a linebacker, or, you know, would have basically been a linebacker in this game, uh, knowing how much Tennessee wanted to run the ball. So he uh, went down, I think, late in the first quarter, hobbled off, did not return to the game. Uh, the word from Pete Carroll is that he re-injured the, the ankle that he had previously injured in the November 30th Dallas game. So he's been playing through that since then. Uh, we talked to him this past week, and he, he said he's he's still something that he's been dealing with. Obviously, he's been playing through it, but he's been dealing with it, and he re-injured it. And there was no real word from Carroll on how serious it was, but it was obviously serious enough to keep him from coming back in the game. Does it change maybe the Seahawks' plan for Jamal Adams if Brooks can't be ready for the Steelers coming up this weekend, do you all of a sudden need number 33 a lot more than you thought you needed him beforehand? Yeah, you do. And and that's another team that likes to run the ball. So I think that would be a game where Adams would naturally fit into that. But the question, I think, every week and every single day, really, with his knee injury is, you know, how is it going to hold up? How is he going to feel? You would have to imagine that after two weeks uh, you know, of not playing and not practicing, that if he's going to be healthy, he's going to be healthy Healthy now. Uh, you just don't know. And again, that's, that's if you take everything, Mitch, at face value and say that the only reason he hasn't played the last two weeks is because of the knee. Unless there's something else going on behind the scenes that you know, Pete Carroll isn't really being uh, totally forthright about. And, and he has you know, alluded to the fact that Adams has been frustrated this season, that he wasn't happy with the fact that he didn't play Monday night. Uh, but assuming his head is in the right place and you assume that these last two weeks would help him. So I would think he's got a good chance to come back next week. How about the corners? We've been talking about Tariq Woolen standing on the sidelines a lot in favor of guys like Artie Burns and Trey Brown and Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson apparently beat him out. And then on Sunday, Tariq Woolen plays virtually the whole game. Did we see that coming? No, I would have thought that they would continue to rotate uh, Mike Jackson with Woolen. Now, I think Part of that was Witherspoon was still out, and uh, so they actually put Mike Jackson over on the left side. The left side. And, and, I, and I wonder if, yeah, and I wonder if part of that was that uh, you know Trey Brown was maybe still totally not a hundred percent with the heel injury that had him listed as questionable mm-hmm. going into the game. So you saw uh, Mike Jackson and Trey Brown rotate on the left side and I think they kept Woolen in on the right side like usual for the entire game yeah I'd have to go back and watch and to give you a great idea of how he played but I didn't see him giving up no. big completions no. I, I did see him make a really big hit at the end uh, on the final play of the game yes. to really seal it and, yes. and that's that basically ended the game right there it did end the game any gut on spoons availability for the Steelers this week yeah, that, that's a hard one to figure out just because Carroll said, I think, the week leading into the Monday Night Eagles game that he thought 
Witherspoon would be back for that game, and then he wasn't, and then he wasn't back for this game. Didn't practice last week uh, until I think the final day where he was limited. So, um, and the fact that he got back to practice as a limited participant on Friday, I think maybe you could see that as a good sign, but I think it's just too early to tell right now. So here we are. Taco Time Northwest loves to applaud people that enjoy doing some work. Brady Henderson from Nashville, Tennessee. Brady, you get the first shot. You can have two guys because you could take Brian Nemauser. Who are we? Uh, who are we sending some corn chowder to this week? based on their performance on Sunday against the Titans. Well, I am going to go, first of all, with Ken Walker the third. We already talked about him, but I, I agree with you. I was thinking the same thing during the game, that he has always had an ability to, to make something out of nothing and yeah. to turn a, a would-be negative play into a positive, and he had to do that the entire game. That There was not a single yard that he gained that was easy, where it was, looked like it was cleanly blocked play, he was getting everything like everything he got was were yards that he looked like he shouldn't have gotten. So 16 carries for 54 yards is not, you know, a banner day, but under the circumstances, he did a nice job. So Ken Walker, the third. Yes. Was doing some, some work. work, some taco time. Northwest and, work and get some corn chowder. Yeah. Yes, he was. And then the, and then the other guy was DK Metcalf and uh, you wow. know, Metcalf now Two has offensive six, guys. You yeah. went offense on both of your selections. Interesting. OK. All right. Go ahead. Well, you know, we, we talked about Gino earlier, so he already got his flowers. So I'm going to give some flowers and some corn chowder uh, to DK. Not not the most prolific game of his, but big catches. He now has a touchdown catch. or Excuse me. He has six touchdown catches over the last six games. Uh, the go-ahead touchdown catch in the fourth quarter where, you know, it looked like he only was able to, to get that in with one hand. Right. And then he sort of bobbles it and then gets the second foot inbounds, drags the second foot inbounds. Uh, and then he had the big play to draw the defensive pass interference penalty right before the Parkinson touchdown. So that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but that's that's a huge play that, you know, you add that to four catches for 56 yards. And it was a really nice day for DK. No penalties, nothing like that. Mm. So DK Metcalf was yeah, doing Kenneth, some work. So you got Kenneth Walker and DK Metcalf. I feel like we've got to do something on defense, don't yeah. we? Um, yeah. Boye Mafe had a couple of sacks. I feel like Draymond Jones had a good game. I have not watched it back yet. I've only seen the game once, so maybe I will have a different opinion. So maybe I'll just say... I'm going to throw some corn chowder the way of the pass rush. Any game where the pass rush comes up with six sacks, I think most of them in non-blitz situations, just rushing four. I'm pretty sure about that. I like that. And they're able to come up with a couple sacks when they're in the prevent defense on the last drive of the game, which doesn't happen very – if you watch around the NFL, you watch all these games that come down to the last drive, you very rarely see defenses come up with sacks in those situations. So I'm just going to throw some corn chowder the way of the Seattle Seahawks pass rush for their six sacks on Sunday against the Titans. So here we are, two weeks to go, two games to go, Steelers and the Cardinals. Seahawks now control their own destiny, according to Mr. Playoffs. What do you think, Brady? Are you feeling like you're going to be covering a Seahawks playoff game or not? How do you feel about this? Oh yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I think they will. I think they'll win these last two games. Now the oh, Pittsburgh do. game, yeah, the Pittsburgh game doesn't look quite as easy as you may have thought a couple weeks ago, just because you know Mason Rudolph looked 
pretty good last week, and I would anticipate him starting uh, again Sunday at Lumen Field. And you know, I don't know really know what to make of that Pittsburgh team because they've had a winning record for most of the season, despite having a, a negative point differential, which yeah. is very odd. Yeah. So don't really know what to make of them. And as you mentioned, they don't necessarily have to win the final two games to get in. And and if they are going to lose one of their final two, you'd rather lose to Pittsburgh and then beat uh, Arizona in the finale. Now. Again, it goes back to the conversation we had earlier. I, I don't think this team is built to make a deep playoff run. I, I just don't. I haven't seen enough of them to really have any confidence about that. But what's interesting is there's a couple of first-round matchups that would be entirely winnable for them, as even as the Detroit. seventh seed. So Detroit. Detroit. Yeah. yeah. yeah, that, yeah. And, that, and I know that was week two. That was a long time ago. Yeah. But they be, already beat the Lions in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, you know, what if Philadelphia ends up as the two seed, which could easily happen? Nah, they're not, uh, beating, they're, not, they're not beating Philadelphia in Philly. They're not going to do that. I don't no, I, I wouldn't think so. But that's not it wouldn't seem entirely out of the question the way it would if they had to go back to Santa Clara to play the 49ers. Right. They're going to have to beat the Cardinals if they're going to win out. They're going to have to beat the Cardinals in that last game of the season. And I don't know. Kyler Murray could have something up his sleeve. But then again, the Cardinals could be playing to lose because they're, they'll be in the discussion for the number one or two overall pick in the NFL draft coming up. So a lot on the line in, in both directions for all these teams. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, they've got a first-year coach in Jonathan Gannon who is yes. you know, so early in his deal that he's not worried about job security, so he's not worried about, you know, needing to win that game to save his job. That they they may make, you know, uh, something of an unofficial organizational decision to really not try to win that game. First things are first, the Steelers on uh on Sunday, the Seahawks are 8 and 7 after a close call, but victory over the Tennessee Titans in Nashville and they control their own destiny now win the final two and they're in the playoffs one way or the other Brady Henderson from Nashville thank you Brady all right thank you Mitch and thank you Mr. Playoffs it's Mr. Playoff season right now (laughs) well 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 I smell some better mortgage rates finally that brings in Jordan Flowers Woodenville office cross-country mortgage back on Mitch unfiltered rate drops the way that he used to drop passes at East Lake High School. <laughs> Ouch, man. And, and, with that the, and, with the, and that's why he's in the mortgage business, ladies and gentlemen, and the phone should be ringing, right, Jordan? <laughs> well, at least something's ringing off the hook. Yes, it is busy. Phones are ringing like jingle bells. It's awesome. <laughs> We're having a great time here. We're seeing rates already down about a point, point and a half. It took us six months to lose about 300 basis points on the 30-year 6% coupon, and we're, we gained that back in the last 30 days. So wow. things are looking good. Significant. How have the rate drops affected the market that you can tell? And how about new cross-country products that we should be thinking about as we head towards the new year? Yeah, the rate drops have already impacted the market with uh, buyers getting a little more excited and confident and writing up offers and getting under contract now since they're already seeing probably $500 to $1,000 a month savings in a 1% to 2% drop in rates from where they were just a few months ago. Yeah. And refis are going to be coming up here soon, especially as the Fed starts to cut rates. So things are definitely picking up here. And as far as new products go, there's a bunch of products that have been coming out. One specifically that we're very excited about moving into next year is a construction loan, but a construction loan for investors that are looking to build five to 10 unit mixed use properties, somewhat hard to come across. And uh, we are offering it, I believe we're one of maybe the only lender in the area offering it right now. So mixed use property 
properties, five to 10 units, investors that want to build those apartments or condos and sell them or rent them out. Yep. We've got that for you. So up to $4 million. So I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener who's either looking at a refi or making a purchase. And I want to talk and ask questions to Jordan Flowers directly. I call him where? You call me or text me directly at 425-890-2957. There it is, Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. We love him. Great, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. to bleed the clock down, and then you would expect punt it. Johnson makes a cut. Forget about that. Johnson, first down, slides down, and the Washington Huskies are going to win the final Pac-12 championship. Ewers into the flat. Blue has the touchdown. Episode 268. We gave him a couple of weeks off. But now it's down to the nitty-gritty. Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Taco Time Northwest and its fabulous corn chowder. I'm hearing that January 7th is the date that the corn chowder goes back into hibernation. So only a few weeks left. The national semifinals, the final countdown, Michigan and Alabama in the Rose, Washington and Texas in the Sugar. Do we still feel Rick Neuheisel that it's as wide open as the last time we talked about any one of the four teams wouldn't surprise us. I, I certainly feel that way. I feel the least likely to win the championship is Michigan. You said that. I just yes, don't see. I just don't feel like they're explosive enough to handle the fireworks that uh, the other three are capable of. And and despite the fact that Michigan's great defense, I just don't think you can contain these three offenses, especially as the Alabama offenses growing into a Jalen Milrow friendly uh, right. uh, way of doing things. So, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I think the wrong teams are favored. Me too. Uh, I think that uh, Washington is probably a field goal favorite over Texas, and that's not the way the odds makers have it. And I certainly feel Alabama's probably a six-point favorite over Michigan. Well, everyone knows by now what you just talked about, that UW comes a Vegas underdog to Texas. And it's funny because... If Oregon had played Texas instead of Washington back on December the 1st, Oregon would have been the clear favorite in Vegas over Texas. So do me a favor and talk to me about Texas versus Oregon, the the comparison of Oregon and Texas and what challenges Quinn Ewers and the Longhorns present for UW that maybe Bo Nix and the, the Ducks didn't. Well, recall going back, if you watch the previous ball games between Oregon and Washington, you saw decided advantages for Oregon in rushing the football. In the game in Eugene a year ago, Oregon ran for over 300 yards. Washington, I think, had right at 100. In the game in Seattle, Oregon had over 200 yards rushing. Mm -hmm. Washington had 100. In the game in Las Vegas, it was Washington with the rushing advantage, 150-something to 124. Dylan Johnson's ability to add to this recipe for Ryan Grubb and this offense has been notable, and it puts real pressure on a defensive coordinator as to how you're going to stop it. 
add to that Jalen McMillan's health and you look at an offense that in Vegas, those three great receivers, Adunze, Polk, and McMillan had 22 catches for almost 300 yards. And you had Dylan Johnson going over 100. Pick your poison. And if you look at Texas, Texas is the ability, and this is a great ability for Pete Kwiatkowski, their defensive coordinator, to be able to push the pocket, especially up the middle, and try to move an opponent quarterback off his spot without adding linebackers to the fray mm-hmm. with those two behemoth defensive tackles, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, who are, if you look at pro football focus, Mitch, you yeah. see that those are two of the highest graded defensive tackles in all of college football. Right. With that being said, this is a formidable offensive line. As a matter of fact, this offensive line for the Huskies just was awarded the Joe Moore Award which is the best offensive line in oh, all of college I didn't football. Know that. Okay. Yeah, they just got that award. It's a really big honor, 300 pound trophy. It's all five guys and <laughs> bronze and it's a cool deal. Okay. So, but if they can hold up against those interior guys and give uh, Michael Penix the kind of time that he's enjoyed throughout these two years in a 20 game winning streak in a perfectly indoor environment where there's no wind. There's not. This to me sets up beautifully for Washington. Go on the other side. You've lost the top running, but Jonathan Brooks is out for the year for Texas. That's a problem. They've got other good players. There's no question about that. But are they capable of running for all kinds of yards as Sarks likes to set up play action and all that stuff? I think this is going to be a third and long game for Quinn Ewers. Yeah. And to me, that helps the Washington cause. Okay, I have follow-up questions. Sure you do. Uh, You talk about the Texas defensive tackles and can Washington's offensive, especially their interior of their offensive line, handle those tackles. I'm going to read you some numbers. Apparently, all these teams handle those tackles. Josh Hoover. 302 yards for TCU against Texas. Will Howard, 327 and four touchdowns for Kansas State against Texas. Donovan Smith, 378 yards and three touchdowns for Houston against Texas. Rocco Becht, 323 yards for Iowa State against Texas. Dylan Gabriel had a big game. Alan Bowman of Oklahoma State in a loss had a big All these guys had big They're, passing numbers against Texas. Why can't Michael, maybe I'm being too simplistic here, with the wide receivers and the quarterback that Washington's going to, they're going to throw better than in all these teams. They're 95th against the pass, Mitch. Texas is 95th against the pass. They have a problem. They have a huge problem in trying. And remember, these two staffs did the same scrutiny about one another a year ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. They know what each other does. Kwiatkowski did what he's doing now at Washington. There's no secrets here. So to me, they have the wrong team favored. I know Texas is a brand that everybody's, you know, gotten the sizzle and they're off to the SEC, but I love the dogs in this game. And especially if you're going to give me the extra couple of points to give me a little insurance. Yeah. And and even a couple, it's a four and a half. How about Quinn Ewers versus Bo Nix? Who's more dangerous to Washington, Bo Nix or Quinn Ewers? Well, Bo Nix is more dangerous because of his legs. 
I think that Quinn Ewers is a brilliant passer. As a matter of fact, 70% passer. But remember, they're doing that in a lot of what, what I call scripted throws, which means throws that they're just throwing. The play is, it's a long, it's a, it's extended, a passing handoff. Yeah, extended it's running passing, play. Extended, extended running play. You're yeah, throwing it out right, to people right. like uh, Adonai Mitchell or, or Xavier Worthy that are just giving them chances to right. go and run with it. Uh, but he's a big time player. I mean, they went and got him with an NIL deal away from Ohio State. Ohio State got him out of his last year of high school because he was that kind of player. There's no yeah. question that Quinn Ewers is yeah. is going to play in the NFL. But I still think Penix is the equivalent as a drop back passer. His ability and his accuracy down the field is notable. And as good as Mitchell and Worthy are, I think pass catching wise, the threesome of uh, Washington is better. So to me, as long as Washington's secondary holds up in its end of the bargain, I, I love the dogs in this game. And Nick's always was a problem with his ability to get out of the pocket, run away, much more elusive than Quinn Ewers. Now, you're not going to go on some some podcast in Austin and say the reverse, are you? I, I just would never make- do it. I would say there's a problem. There's a problem for you. Houston, we have, we have a problem. A problem. Yeah, ah! Yes, yes. Uh, you think Alabama will beat Michigan. You think Jalen Milrow is just a different player than he was earlier on in the year when they lost to Texas. I think Tommy Reese has discovered the quarterback run game. If you go back to the days of Colin Kaepernick at Nevada, that that is available via the pistol. I discovered it, Mitch. I couldn't run the ball while I was coaching at UCLA. We had to find a way. Uh, we averaged less than three yards a carry. We had, and we went and did a study and the place that was doing it without real competent, you know, 350 yeah. pound offensive lineman was Nevada. So Chris all was generous. Uh, I hired away Jim Mastro from him, his running back coach, and they had developed this pistol offense. And I think Tommy Reese is starting to get to the, to the crux of it. And it, if I was to explain it to people, what the magic of it is, there's two secrets. One is the ability for the veer. It's basically veer offense where you ride and decide in the belly of a running back uh, and then make the decision off a defender that's unblocked. If he takes the running back, the quarterback keeps. If he takes the quarterback, he gives to the running back. Marcus Tuyasasopo and Pat Conniff did it beautifully back in the 2000 season, right? Mm-hmm. Beautifully. And we rode them all the way to, the, to Pasadena. The pistol moves that, that mesh four and a half yards back. So it's delayed, which allows the secret two. the secret two is your ability to line up in a formation, but because of the delayed nature of that, of that mesh, you can basically host snap motion. You can create an, a, a strength advantage to one side of the field that was not uh, uh, thought through by a defense unless they accommodate after the snap and you get people, you get numbers to the other side and you get, if you've got a gifted quarterback as Milrow is and Marcus was, you, you have great opportunity to run the ball. Marcus Tuyasasopo recall into the year 2000 was the first quarterback ever to throw for 300 and run for 200 in one game. Remember it's happened twice since that time, Yeah, but Milrow could do that. Milrow is that kind of guy, and Tommy Reese is now discovering it, giving three more weeks of practice for this game. I expect to see more of it. It certainly gave Georgia fits, and it will give Michigan fits. I have time to ask you this, but should it come to pass, can Washington beat Alabama? Yes, Washington can beat Alabama because of the ability of Penix down the field. 
and Alabama will be the most gifted secondary they'll have played all year. But the contested catch ability of these kids for Washington and the ability to run the football. And I think Washington defensively will, because of having played Knicks, they'll be more prepared for Milrow. What do you make of FSU suing the ACC over the hefty withdrawal fee and plotting its exit? Uh, Sour grapes for not getting into the tournament or fair play, do you think? Oh, I think it's fair play. They signed the contract. They signed it twice, but they realize they're up against it. When you have contracts that you think are unfair, you take them to judges and you rule they're unconscionable. You were signed them under duress or force majeure. Force majeure means that something cataclysmic has happened that was out of unforeseen, out of the control. And what's happened in college football, you could argue is unforeseeable when they sign those deals. And the livelihood of their program and others in the ACC, there are going to be others that are going to be watching very carefully because they'll follow this path, are of the mind that this is an unsustainable model given the length of this contract through 2036 with uh, the television partner of ESPN. So to me, what will happen will be very interesting. I think we're on the clock, Mitch. I think we've got two years, which is the remaining life of the current CFP contract to figure all this out, to say, are we going to follow the Chip Kelly model? Remember he went out there and said, why don't we just make it the NFL? Make it 65 teams that are going to be in this NFL and then the group of five become another AFL, if you will, going back and let's let's play for championships. They have a way of doing it. It's going to end up requiring rev sharing with television contracts. I think we're headed there and I think we've got two years to figure it out. Mm. Taco Time Northwest presents Rick Neuheisel and Rick's picks. He, He finished the season going like six in a row. Against the spread. By Why the does way, that surprise you? It does. Why, you you always sound astounded when I do such a thing. You, you know I watch you. a lot of football. I know it's not you. Well, it is you. But I, <laughs> I mean, you've had years where you've lost six in a row. I have had uh, tough spells <laughs> where things happen out of my control. Bino Cook used to tell me there's a reason why they live in big houses and send their kids to <laughs> Ivy League schools. Okay, it's not easy to beat Vegas. Uh, last minute stocking stuffer idea: Taco Time Northwest gift cards. For every twenty five dollar gift card that you spend at Taco Time Northwest online, you'll receive an extra five dollar bonus. So get her or him a holiday gift card at tacotimenw.com. All right, you've hit your last six in a row. You're way over 500. You're playing with the man's money. It's all bonus. It's all gravy. And we've got a number of different college football bowl games coming up. Oh, boy, do we. We got a bunch of them coming up here leading into, obviously, January 1st, where you obviously like the two underdogs. Maybe you're going to make one of those. Or both of those, Rick's place. You can you can give us zero picks. You could give us five picks. It could be somewhere in between. Whatever you want. When you when you have won six in a row and have have earned yourself the corn chowder that you've earned yourself, you have a blank canvas, my friend. Do whatever you please for the remaining moments of Mitch Unfiltered. We are going to go to the Alamo Bowl the to start Bowl. this little uh, holiday, holiday extravaganza. Okay. Uh, we're going to take the Arizona Wildcats. I think they're a two and a half point pick over Oklahoma. Oklahoma is without Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel has since left the Sooners and moved on to Oregon. Right. Where he'll be the quarterback for Dan Lanning's uh, Ducks next year. 
Jackson Arnold was the reason for this movement. So Jackson Arnold will be the quarterback for Oklahoma. He was a star freshman. They told Dylan Gabriel was going to be a competition. So he said, I'm off, off to uh, gain riches elsewhere. Arnold hasn't played much. I love what Arizona and Johnny Nance and their defensive coordinator have done defensively. And this is a team that hasn't been to postseason since 2017. So I'm, my point to you is this. Arizona is going to be motivated to play. Everybody's playing except their left tackle. Their left tackles are going to be a first rounder or late early second rounder. Uh-huh. He's the reason. And Jed Fish told him you probably should sit. But this is going to be a motivated Arizona sure team. They got a chance to get to the 10th win. Yep. I'm taking Noah Fafita and the Arizona Wildcats in that one. Not, and I am staying with you in, as we go on taco time, you know, yeah, double yeah. time here, okay? <laughs> and, and by the way, you didn't give me my chance to do some work because I was yeah. going to say that South Florida team did no. some work on no. your Syracuse orange. I know you don't like to talk about it. You want to talk about what's going on with Fran Brown and all what's the recruiting what's coming and Kyle next? McCord yes. on his way yes. to the Harvard of Central New York. Yes. I know that's what you, you want to talk about. Guys from the, Texas A&M. <laughs> we got guys from Georgia. All of a sudden, everybody wants to play in the Harvard of Central New York. But okay. Yeah. Yes. Fran but, Brown. Okay. Yeah, okay. Fran, right. Fran, Fran's work. our man. He's doing it, some Fran work. can't do it. No one can. I get it. Get it. I get it. But we are staying with yeah. the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, roll tide in that Rose Bowl. And we are staying with the Washington Dam Huskies. Okay. Hey, go ahead and okay. take your four and a half. But I would not be upset at you if you said money line. Just go money line. On both and games. T- on both games. Absolutely. So I get one game outside of the national semifinals is an official pick. And that's, an official pick. Th- that's a red hot Arizona team that yes, hasn't lost. They'll, they'll get fe- their 10th win. Feels like they haven't lost in... In months, for goodness sake. Won their last six. Won their last six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to take the underdogs in the national semifinals, and we'll uh, we'll have Rick back to talk about those national semifinals. Hopefully, a Washington win over Texas. Rick Neuheisel on this episode of Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate you, Mitch. Take care. As they say, tis the season, fireplace season. Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat is back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, John? I'd imagine... Everyone on your team over there is jolly this time of year. Yes, they are, and they're really busy. We're uh, <laughs> we're over there getting everybody stocked up for the season, not only for installation stockups, but also for uh, product stockups. So we're ready to go and serve people here in the Northwest. And you also deal with a lot of repairs. We don't talk about repairs that often when you visit the show. Talk to us about that. Yeah, either way, if tune up a fireplace, repair a fireplace, or if you need us to replace it, just mm-hmm. give us a call. Our unit that Fireside installed has been working overtime here at the house what's the timetable in the heart of these winter months from fireside home Solutions? soup to nuts we're doing great right now we have uh installers ready to go we have product ready to go so anywhere between two and three weeks we can get a brand new fireplace wow. put in your house wow first the magnificent remodel in bellevue now what am i hearing about adding the spokane market to the team. Yep, we just opened up our Spokane market. We're about three months uh, new to that market. We're going to be doing the same things we do over here in the Northwest. Everything from the top to the bottom, installation, service. Looking forward to serving that community. When do you think the showroom will open? We're hoping sometime here in March and April. We're going to go over and do some layouts. So, yep, we'll be excited. I think Mark Few needs to treat himself in Spokane to some cozy warmth after his cold trip to Montlake a few weeks ago. (laughs) So, south to Portland and now east to Spokane, Fireplaces, gas, electric, wood burning, garage doors. Begin your search with a great sponsor of Mitch Unfiltered, FiresideHomeSolutions.com.
Unfiltered. Veneers plays it at a break. Everly in, shoots, and scores. A break from the blue line in by Jordan Everly. And now Seattle the other way. Dunn drops it off. Tatar cuts to the high slot. Goes backhand. Scores! So often the case. A near miss at one end. In the net at the other. 3-1 Seattle. Episode 268 continues what to think of the Seattle Kraken. First, they lose eight games in a row, I think it was. Now they're winners of four of their last six. I think they've gotten points in each of their last six games after the win in Anaheim on Saturday night. R.J. Eskinos, Emerald City Hockey, is not only a good guy, but boy, is he dedicated to Mitch Unfiltered. San Francisco International Airport, I kid you not. R.J., thanks for being back with us. Where are we? On the uh, on the Kraken as they're like what three points behind the last wild card spot in the Western Conference. That's right. The Kraken are, are getting back in the wild card chase, and they have points in six in a row now after an eight game losing streak. They're starting to turn things around, and and it's certainly needed at this time of the year. You can't really dig a hole much deeper than what they've done and expect to be able to climb out of it. But all indications are good as far as the way they've been playing recently, and they're heading into the holiday break on a high note. How did they get into the hole? We've spoken a little bit about it. What happened for them to have to now dig out of a hole was it injuries was it poor play was it bad coaching was it a combination of a lot of things goaltending what was it take your pick I guess goaltending probably least of those issues but really just a a lack of focus and and not being able to put together a 60 minute effort consistently night after night and the Kraken have been able to do that I think Dave Haxtell as rough as things have gotten he never lost the room and the effort was always there from the guys and now they're finally starting to get results and the more you get those results, the easier it is to believe in yourself and kind of build off of those things. So they're 12 and 14, as I said at the top. They're three points as we speak behind the final wild card position in the Western Conference of the NHL. But there's still a, a ton of hockey to play. I saw somebody wrote recently that they've played their way already out of anything but a wild card. They can't be one of the top three teams in their division. Is that true? It seems like there's 40, 45 games to play yet, RJ. Why are we Why are we counting them completely out? I mean, never say never. There's a lot of hockey left. But I do think this year, particularly in the Western Conference, in each division, there's a top three teams, and then there's a pretty big wall, and then there's all the other teams in the division. So I, I do think one of those top three division spots is unlikely, given the hole that they've dug themselves. But yeah. mostly that's because the top three in the division, Vancouver, L.A., and Vegas, are, are just so much better than the rest, I think. And so the injuries, let's go through some of the injuries. We'll get to Grubauer in a minute because he brings up another sort of conversation. Can you lose your job to injury? Because we've seen this before in sports. The understudy comes in when the first guy gets hurt and plays better than the first guy. And then we have a decision to make when the first guy comes back. But before we get to Grubauer, some of the forwards, some of the other guys on the ice who they've lost for games, when are they getting them back? And will they be a better team in, let's say, a few weeks, four to six weeks when all of them come back? Right. Well, the NHL, it's notoriously foggy as far as injury situations. We don't really get to hear a lot, but the Kraken have had their rash of forward injuries. And it feels like every time someone goes down, it's a forward, which right. sucks because you just keep having to call up people from the same position group, right? right, right. And it gets very thin. Andre Burakovsky, 
it's hard to tell. I mean, he re-injured himself the first game back when he came back the first time. You want to be extra cautious going forward. Jaden Schwartz, uh, they put him on LTIR, which is long-term injured reserve. The, the amount of forwards they're missing. Thankfully, they got Jared McCann back. Could not afford to go down another forward, especially their leading goal scorer there. So thankfully, it does seem like it's getting a little bit better, but they, they've had to adjust. Which of these guys is the most problematic? Is it Burakovsky? the absence. You know, I'd actually say it's Jaden Schwartz because he's one of the few guys on the team who is willing to go to the front of the net consistently and especially they felt his absence on the power play. I think it took them four or five games or so to adjust to him not being there because he did so much of what they were good at on the power play. Getting rebounds, digging around in the crease, those tough-to-go areas that not a lot of players are willing to go to, but Jaden Schwartz will do it consistently. RJ, you said that goaltending was the least of their concerns. You've always been a kind of a Grubauer apologist. I don't want to mark you as one, but he gets hurt, and Joey Decord comes in and plays great against Los Angeles in the win the other night, and then on Saturday night against Anaheim, I think another 35 or some odd saves, 40 saves. Now, when Grubauer comes back, the big question is, who should be the number one goalie? for the Seattle Kraken. Well, I think we need to look no further than last season when Martin Jones came in after Grubauer was injured for a while. Jones played really well. And even after Grubauer came back, Hackstall still gave Jones the majority of the starts, even when Grubauer was healthy. I think he wanted to ease Grubauer back in. And this injury looked kind of similar to last year's too. If it is in fact a groin injury, which it sure looked like one, you don't want to rush a guy back too strongly. So I think Decord's still going to get his fair share of starts. I mean, he's handling pretty much all the work since Grubauer left, and he's playing great. Hackstall has to ride the hot hand in net, and I think that's what he should do. So does Grubauer have to win his job back once he comes back? You know, I think Decord will probably get like two out of three starts or so to start back, and then I think you'll want to ease things in to about 50-50 tandem. I think that's probably what the goal is. Really, most teams, I think, should do that. You know, in the modern NHL, you need both goalies. That's just a reality of how the league works. So the big question is, for a lot of NHL fans that are like me, casual Kraken observers. We all want to know, and maybe it's too early for you to answer this, can this still be a season like last year? Is there still a chance that they'll get this thing going, they'll get into the postseason, and maybe some magic in the postseason that brought us all to the table in the first place? I think there is, and this team looks very similar to last season. I mean, the biggest difference is just the injuries that they've dealt with. Last year, they were uncommonly healthy, and you knew it was going to kind of rebound a little bit this year. It certainly has, and it's been difficult. But now that they've kind of figured out the way they need to play, they're starting to look like they did last season. You're getting depth contributions in scoring now. Now that Matty Beneers has kind of finally woken up and is playing better, you're starting to look like last season's crack. And you beat me to the punch on that. Matty (laughs) Beneers and the newly acquired, do I say it right, Tomas Tatar. First of all, the Kraken should not be doing business with the Avalanche, but Tatar comes in and has a couple of two, three good games, including the one on Saturday night against Anaheim he scored. What does he bring to the table, and how about the the renaissance this season, finally, of Beneers? Seems to be playing the way he did towards the end of last year now. That's right, and I think Tatar's been a big part of that. I mean, fantastic trade by Ron Francis. You go out and bring in a guy who's a, a nine-time 20-goal scorer in his career, who through 27 games with the Avs, only had one goal on the season. And he's turned it around. He just needed a restart. We know what he's capable of. You put him with a skilled player like Matty Beneers and just watch the two of them go. Tatar brings a lot of creativity in the offensive zone. He's good at getting entry into the offensive zone, 
with the puck, controlling the puck, making passes, and that can free Matty Beniers up to do some of the special things he does. You look at the game against Anaheim on Saturday. Tatar stops up, gets into the zone, feeds Beniers, and then Beniers is able to make this pretty saucer pass over to Vince Dunn for a tap-in goal. Will they be on the same line when everybody's healthy? Where will Tatar fit? When everybody, when he's got the team at full strength. No need to change it as long as it's working. I think he should fit there with Matty Beneers. The chemistry, after just four games, the chemistry is incredible what they've been able to build. Keep it that way until it stops working. The big game that's on the horizon, the NHL Winter Classic at T-Mobile Park. How big of a deal for us non-hockey guys is this? Is this a huge thing? Is it kind of a ceremonial thing? How did it come to Seattle in the first place? The two newest teams are going to play in the uh, in the NHL's Winter Classic outside at the Mariners Baseball Stadium. What's it going to be like? Now, the players and coaches will tell you it's worth two points just like any other game, but this is one of the league's marquee events, and this is a huge step for the Seattle Kraken franchise, and it's something that they've been wanting ever since they came into the league. This is a chance to showcase the city and the hockey market really to the league. The whole league's eyes are going to be on the NHL and on this game, uh, and it's a really cool event. I mean, I would recommend going to anyone who's thinking about it. It's a unique experience. Like the sight lines aren't going to maybe be as good as in the arena, but just being there in a ballpark, especially if the roof is retracted. I went and got to visit a few days ago and see the rink build. And let me tell you, it makes all the difference when that roof is off and it feels like an outdoor game. There's nothing like it. Watching a hockey game outdoors. If there's rain, will they cover it? Yes. And that's why the roof is there. They had to plan for the contingency of rain. You can't have rain on the ice. It would ruin it. Will they coach the game differently? Will they play the game differently? Will it feel like a, a playoff game as opposed to one of 82? The biggest coaching change coaches usually make for these games is to kind of simplify things because you're never sure about the ice conditions. And so it kind of becomes a lot of dump and chase, a lot of simplified hockey. I don't know that that'll be necessary this year. Talking with Steve Meyer, who's in charge of the whole rink building project and the event for the league, he said, I mean, the ice conditions are are probably going to be as good as they've ever been because you have that roof and you can do that quality control. So I think they might not actually have to oversimplify things. All right, before you go, the next time we speak, if it's in two or three weeks from now rj tell me will the kraken be in playoff position the next time we talk stick your neck out i'm gonna say no and that's and that's not a huge issue because again it is just so difficult to climb up the standings if you look at the last three four days all the teams around them have been winning as well but you know it's a slow climb but there's a lot of hockey left to get there so i think they'll be just outside that playoff bubble i'm being realistic do you like the winter classic sweater the special sweater? You know what? I Here, I'll stick my <laughs> neck out here. I think it's the best Kraken jersey there is. Really? Better than the homes, better than the roads, really? better than the reverse retros. Best Kraken jersey and ever And, of course, we could, can we all go out and buy one for ourselves? I'm sure we can. Yeah, you, you definitely can. It might take a while for it to get to you, though. They sold out of that first stock, and people really? have been waiting weeks to get them. Wow. RJ Eskados, Emerald City Hockey. The Kraken are trying to scratch and claw their way back into where we want them to be at season's end. Thank you, RJ. Happy holidays. Thanks for being back with us. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Happy holidays to you, too. 
She's back. Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I understand there's a special anniversary or birthday over there in Bellevue. Yes. Uh, Evergreen is celebrating our 40th anniversary this nice. year. Nice. Very, very nice. So that means the new Make Mitch Look Foolish quiz is a 40th anniversary special this week. That's right. Okay. I'm ready. Go ahead. So it's been an interesting year in the market. Overall, the S&P 500 is up about 11% for the year. Last time when we spoke in July, it was up about 19%. So there's been some volatility over that time. But I'm going to see how much you've been paying attention. First question, what is the return on value stocks for 2023? So value stocks are blue chip companies that traded attractive valuations, often pay dividends, things like financials, Costco, companies like that. Mm -hmm. Value stocks, are they up 7%, 2%, or down? 1%. I would think that they're up because overall the market is up, but I'll just say 2%. How about that? they're down 1%. Really? It's quite the diversion where what we're going to look at in question number two, we're going to turn to our focus on what's the return on growth stocks. Right, right. These are companies like Tesla, Meta, Google, some of the big tech giants. Mm -hmm. So are those stocks up 31%, 24%, or 5%? So if the value stocks are down too, these have to be up big, big, big for the numbers to make sense. So it's either 24, 31. I'll say the 31 percent so they're actually up 24 oh, no, percent <laughs> so you can see there's a big diversion between these different areas of the market and really there's only a handful of stocks that are driving the market return this year so while overall the market's up it doesn't tell the full story which means i'm on the precipice of going over three let me see if i can salvage one for us katie go ahead All right, I'll give you an easy one. It's a true or false. Okay. So true or false, the return on the bond market is negative for the year. Well, that has to be true if the the stock, well, it doesn't have to be, but most likely that's true if the stock market is thriving, right? That's true. The bond market is down over 3% this year. So I go one for three and in baseball, 333 makes me an all-star hitter. I'm going to stick to that. We love Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner. Start your search and learn all about them at evergreengk.com because they're everything wealth. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment episode 268 hot shots, Scott. Now, normally I'd let you go first. Yes. But I owe you something here at the top of the other stuff segment. Okay. What, what do I owe you? Christmas bonus. No. Besides that, what else do I owe you? Oh, um, yes. yes. Zoom. Yes. Zoom, I, Zoom, I owe you Zoom. an expl- Yeah. I owe you an explanation yes. as to why the Beat the Boys password this week is Zoom, all lowercase, Z-O-O-M. You seem to know why. Yes. What do you know about Zoom? A certain guard that plays basketball who... Yes. What do you know about him? I watched his highlight film a little bit, like three or four minutes of it. Yeah. Insanely quick, good jumper, gets to the rack, isn't super tall, but can get to the rack and finish. Isn't super tall. He's 6'4 and built like a... But he he drives to the rack and he he doesn't get his shot blocked. Played at Curtis High School. Yep. Now plays at a prep school for his final year. Is considered by many... The best point guard prospect in the entire nation. He's wow. a five-star McDonald's All-American, Parade All-American. Call him a, oh, he is probably the most highly decorated guard 
in high school basketball this year. Could have gone to any school mm. in the country that he wanted to. Everybody thought he was either going to go to Mark Few the Weasel at Gonzaga or he was going to go to Mark Few's former assistant, who's now the head coach of Arizona, and all they are is the top team in the country or right. one of the top two or three teams in the country. It was going to come down to Arizona or Gonzaga, and look what we have here. Look what the cat dragged in to Montlake. He made his decision over the weekend. I am going to the University of Washington. Were we talking about Hopkins being on the hot seat a year still ago? It? We still are. We still are. That's part of the conversation. <laughs> but he just got this guy. How can you blame now, him? Now, you watched him on highlights. I've yes. seen those highlights on YouTube. I went to watch him in person in the state championship final game last year at the Tacoma Dome. I remember that, yes. I got in the car with some friends, and we went down to watch Zoom, Diallo, and Curtis play in the state championship of Washington's high school basketball playoffs. And I was blown away by the guy. You were in person. Oh, yeah, my just God. Incredibly quick. He's big. You say he's not that big. Yeah, it's funny for you say point he's 6'4". He did not look at oh, on the – maybe everyone's point, just taller. For a point guard, he's – I like he, it. He's quick. Can he's he, can big. He, he plays under control. Yes, yes. He can do it Yes all. on everything. Okay. Ask me any question <laughs> yeah, you right. want. Yes on everything. I mean, this is a guy that you want playing for whoever your favorite college basketball is. This guy is the, the real deal. The fact that he's going to Washington. Yeah. I dropped out of my seat when I saw that. <laughs> and, and Kalen DeBoer can't get a big recruit to save his life these well, days. Well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> We're not talking about the, the that. The team now. that's actually really good can't seem to land a five-star guy. But here's the story. Everybody and their brother thinks that this is the last year for Mike Hopkins. And if he doesn't take Washington into a, a deep NCAA tournament run, what are the chances of that? Yeah. I, I guess they, there's a shot they'll get in. Right now, they're looking pretty good. But Can Zoom play now, like the spring? No, or he can't. He can't. Okay, no. Right. The chances are with the new athletic director that Mike Hopkins is out the door. But then couldn't Zoom be out the door too? Yes, that's the yeah. whole point of the conversation, so Hotshot. He's not going anywhere, Hopkins. There's no hot seat. That's funny. We said something very similar when Michael Porter Jr. was coming to play for Lorenzo Romar, <laughs> didn't we? That's true. And not just Michael Porter Jr., like three or four other guys that had the Washington recruiting class, like number one or two in the country. Yeah. We said the same thing. Surely they're not going to fire Lorenzo Romar and lose all those guys. Yeah. Jalen Noel was in that team, yep. was in that class. Dejon Davis. Big Baby was in that class. Yep. Surely they're not going to fire. And what do uh, they do? Yeah, let him go. And how many of those guys came? One, maybe. Jalen Noel. Jalen Noel, yeah. How, is Michael Porter, how did Michael Porter look in a Washington uniform? Right. So here we are going down the exact same road. Uh, and who replaced Lorenzo Romar? It was Hopkins. That right? would be Mike Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> so now Mike Hopkins comes in. Everybody or some people are mad that they lose the, the best recruiting class in the University of Washington history. Yeah. They lose that. But Hopkins makes us all feel better because he comes in and he wins Pac-12 Coach of the Year, takes his team to uh, to a couple NCAA tournaments, yeah. actually has some good recruiting classes with McDaniels and, and uh, Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, that guy. And now here we are. Ugh. Hopkins is getting run out of town. And now he, we've got Zoom pulling at us like Michael Porter was pulling at us five or six years ago. It's the same thing all over again. So what to do? What do you do? If you're the AD, what do you do? Well, there is one difference between the state of college basketball now than when Michael Porter Jr. was coming. Okay. And it's called NIL. Now, I have no information to tell you that there's somebody over there at UW that's giving Zoom a lot of money to come. It figures that if he's not going to Gonzaga and he's not going to Arizona yeah. and he's not going to Duke 
and he's not going to Kansas, but he's going <laughs> yeah. to Washington. That there's probably some money in it for him, which is legal now, some yeah. NIL dollars. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't the case. It wasn't supposed to be the case when Michael Porter was coming to Washington. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to he be. He was yeah. coming because his father was the assistant coach. <laughs> right. That's another story. Totally on the up and up. The reason I bring that up is, theoretically, that money would still be there for Zoom. If there is money that's convincing him to stay home and play at Washington, you would figure that that money w- would be there regardless of who the coach is. Yeah. That he wouldn't be as connected to Hopkins mm. as maybe Michael Porter Jr. was to the staff of Romar and his dad, who was the coach of the team. And once they went out the door, there was no question Michael Porter wasn't coming. I would think that maybe there's NIL dollars that would save Zoom here, even if Mike Hopkins goes somewhere else. Isn't there NIL money in Arizona and yeah, Duke and that's Kansas? The problem with that's this. the problem, yes. So why did he pick Washington? I mean, if he's If you're from- telling me that he had the same money available to him at Arizona, and he had the same money to him available in Spokane, Washington. You been to Spokane? Yes. And he had the same money available to him in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and in Durham, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Are you telling me he's that connected to Hop? He loves Hop so much that he's coming to Washington because of Hop? My mother would say if she were here right now, hotshot, there mm. is something rotten in Denmark going on here. I mean, do we factor in that I he's... don't even know who what is rotten in Denmark. And what, I think it's Shakespeare, but somebody once said there's yeah. something rotten in Denmark. I mean, he's from here. From here, Tacoma. Does that Curtis factor Isaiah in school? at all? I mean, maybe he's got... Did Isaiah Thomas go to Curtis? He might have. He was Tacoma. I'm not sure if it was Curtis or okay, not. Okay, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe it Maybe was. he's got a, a Tacoma connection. I don't know. Maybe his, he's close to his... Parents and siblings, I don't know. Maybe there's some local connection. He, his family can come watch him play. Maybe that factored in for the... I don't I'm know. just here to tell you, this guy is dynamite. Yeah. To me, looks like a, a one or two and done into the NBA guy. Yeah. <laughs> if I've ever seen one. Yeah. He's like a water bug. This guy is so really quick. good. Yeah. Can't He's wait. really, really good. I can't wait. I just hope Don't, he makes it. He can't sign until April. Oh. Will he ever even sign? Oh, God. No, this, this is the reason no one's like excited or going crazy about it because I'm going crazy about it. It's not a done, done deal, though. I'm stunned. Anyway, that's my my opener to other stuff. Impressive. Go I can't ahead. wait. Knock me out with a few sports analyst Mark Rycroft. You may want to start checking what's in his cup before taking a sip. Do you Uh-oh. see this video? No. Well, he accidentally guzzled tobacco and spit. Rycroft oh, yeah. is uh, seated next to play-by-play announcer yeah. Mark Moser, yeah. who's yeah. standing in the booth with a coffee cup yeah. on a desk in between them. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. took a swig. Rycroft, Rycroft wasn't paying attention, took Wait a hit a off the old... Like, I, can almo- I almost can't read this story without gagging. And I'm someone who used to chew. That's disgusting. It's awful. I feel so bad for the guy. But there is video up there out there if you'd like to see it and if you can stomach oh, it. That is disgusting. It's rough. That is so... If you had to choose that or like a bottle with a little beer in it and three cigarette butts, which you had to take a hit off of one. Really? Which one are you going to do? It's the holiday season. I'll have eggnog, please. <laughs> oh, you're not an eggnog guy? No, I'm not an eggnog guy. Oh. I never had eggnog. I don't even know what it tastes like. What does eggnog taste like? Christmas. Stop it. What it is does. It, what does it taste like? Oh, how do you explain eggnog? Yeah. Um, Remember, hol- I don't like coffee. I don't like no, lattes. It's, def- it's not coffee at all. It's, no? It's desserty. It's uh, like, like pumpkin spicy, although it's not pumpkin. Yeah, I don't think I'm an eggnog. Ho- holiday spice, but it's kind of no. creamy. I'll it's- stick with Manischewitz. Hey, the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Dodgers keep spending hotshot. Okay. Well, last week it was Shohei for 10 years, $700 million. Did you see? I'm intrigued. 
Japanese right-hander Yoshinobu Yamamoto has agreed to terms with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's joining Shohei Otani at the price of 12 years, $325 million. So in 10 days, two contracts, over a billion dollars. My, it must be fun being a Dodger fan. Must be nice to have that kind of loot. He's 25 years old. He's a three-time Pacific League most valuable player. He's also the only guy that's ever won the, the triple crown of pitching. ERA, wins. Strikeouts? And strikeouts. Mm. Three consecutive years. He wow. Did He's only 25 years old. He's 5'10", 177. He's a right-hander. He's got uh, a three-quarter delivery. He throws a fastball at about 95 miles an hour. Also tops out at 99 sometimes. A deceptive splitter, a cutter, and a curveball. His name is Yamamoto, and he gets $325 million guaranteed in his first major league contract. My, how times have changed since the year 2001. When your beloved Seattle Mariners went to Japan yeah. and signed a guy that had an eight-year career batting average of what, do you think, in 2001, before he came over to the Major League Baseball? Career batting average, you said? Career J- Japanese batting average. In the Japanese league, I Japanese. mean, 350? 353. Yeah. And they got him, they posted a number, and they got him to come to Seattle for a rousing three-year contract worth $14 million. <laughs> and but What is he thinking? What? <laughs> what is... What is Ichiro thinking? Looking at this guy, a pitcher, yeah. get 325 million, what, 21, 22 years later? I mean, Ichiro's pissed off. He's going to take it out on the next girls' baseball team he plays. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's really going to heat up on him now. It's just, it must he be great. He may throw high and tight. That's right. He's not happy. <laughs> it just must be great to be in the. Do you see that uh, Otani bought Ashley Kelly, the wife yeah. of Dodgers reliever Joe Kelly, yes. a Porsche? Yes. Who the, wants a car? Everyone's the, rich. Here the, you go, kid. The doorbell Jesus. rings at Joe Kelly's or Joel Kelly. Is it Joe, Joe, Joe Kelly? Joe, yeah, yeah. A relief pitcher for the Dodgers who wore number 17. The doorbell rings. Ashley, the wife, yeah. opens the door and some guy gives her the keys to a new Porsche and says, hey, this is yours from Shohei. He wanted you to have it. Yeah. yeah. All for giving him number 17. She staged a viral campaign called Oh, Take 17 to oh, lure Otani yes. to the Dodgers. Yes, and, and there's some stuff on her. There's uh, some very funny stuff on her Instagram. There's like video of her taking all of her husband's 17 garb, all of his gear, yeah. and throwing it out in the front lawn. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. So yeah, here's a here's a Porsche here's for a you. Porsche. Everyone's rich and you're just gifting cars and must be nice to be on the Dodgers. God. I don't remember uh Ichiro giving Randy Johnson. <laughs> Although Randy was gone at the time. Yeah. yeah. D- or his wife 51. for that matter. Yeah. All right. Denver Zoo officials weren't sure whether 30-year-old Barani or 16-year-old Jaya was the baby daddy of four-month-old Sumatran orangutan Siska. So they have what, a, what are they, we talking about? They have a pregnant orangutan, but yeah. they don't know who the dad is because she's been, you know, mating with both of them. So the zoo needed wanted to know who the dad. She's been active. She's been active. So who did they bring in to settle this and to to read the results? Any clue? Eighty four year old Maury Povich. <laughs> no way. Eighty four no, year old lying. Maury Povich recorded a video for the big reveal. Pulling out a Who's piece of dad? paper from a brown envelope and delivering his iconic oh line, God. Barani, you are the father. Ah, Everyone freaks out. 
pretty cool idea by the Denver Zoo to bring in the, oh my God. the king of paternity test, Maury Povich, to read it. It wasn't Jerry... Uh, no, this is his Springer? niche. This is definitely Maury okay. Povich's niche. I okay. thought that was pretty damn funny. All right. Yep. Um, we talked about Mitch Garver coming to Seattle. Tom Murphy, a fan favorite, former catcher of the Mariners, joins the other Mitch in San Francisco. Mitch Hanniger. Yeah. Tom Murphy signs with the Giants. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Douchebag Harbaugh style. Uh, being offered big money to stay at Michigan. Did you see this? No. He was offered a 10-year, $125 million contract to coach the Michigan Jeez. Wolverines. Part of the contract offer, though, is a clause that says he will not entertain or accept an NFL job in 2024, just 2024, if he signs the deal. He was also offered a different contract worth about $11 million a season. You'll recall that Harbaugh interviewed with the Minnesota Vikings after the 2021 season. They didn't hire him. They hired Kevin O'Connell instead. And in the wake of that interview, he told Mitch Album, yes, the aforementioned Mitch Album in Detroit, that that was a special thing. It's not going to be a recurring theme of me looking for NFL jobs. He told him that after he wasn't hired in Minnesota. And promptly, one year after that, he interviewed with the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Promptly. About, the, about their uh, head coaching vacancy, yeah. which he didn't get because Sean Payton got that. Okay, so. now this is the last this one. Is, I really mean this. For sure this time. I mean this, man. Not my style no. to do this again. <laughs> yeah. The Coastal Carolina football coach, you see this? Coastal Carolina, well, they were in Honolulu for their big bowl game, and the picture went out of the shirtless coach in the middle. Oh, God. And like 10 bikini-clad dance team members that are all students around him and Is yeah he in trouble they well they initially published an image of it and then uh took it down pretty quickly I'm right sure after that yeah the, was this before the bowl game or after the bowl this game? was before the game and the how they do they won actually <laughs> i think it worked i think it got, i think it got him fired up so yeah probably inappropriate to be taking shirtless pictures with bikini clad mm. students when you're the coach of a football team hulk hogan got baptized you excited about that Hulk Hogan got baptized at 70 years he old. He said it was the best day of his life. Is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Randy Savage ruined it when he came in with a chair over his head at the end, though, and beat yeah. the shit out of him. But yeah. other than that, it was... I don't know. It's just funny that... Do you know the video of him having his way with Bubba the Love Sponge's wife with Bubba's no, permission? No, I don't know anything about this. No. That wasn't that long ago. I'm, I'm surprised he's such a changed man, but maybe he is. We'll see. He got baptized on the same day that Andre the Giant got circumcised. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. What you're talking Andre's about. been dead for 30 did they, years. Did they ever uh, wrestle? What? Did Andre the Giant That's and Hulk That's a real Hogan... question? Yeah, it's a real question. 93,000 at the Superdome came to watch who for WrestleMania 3? Only one was... time? No. Well, so the WWF wanted to make it like it's the first time these two have ever collided. Meanwhile, there's match after match of them fighting when Hogan used to be a bad guy. Oh, but at the time with no internet, the the kayfabe, the storyline was, oh, these two have never met. They're, they've been best friends their whole lives, but oh. they used to wrestle each other. All in fact, Hogan talked about pulling up to the stadium. He has no idea who he's wrestling, and he looks at the sheet and fucking Andre. God, <laughs> why? Like hated wrestling against yeah. him because he's so enormous and yeah. would beat the shit out of him. And yeah. no, they they wrestled plenty. Yeah, and then like I said at WrestleMania, I want to say it was three the the biggest sporting event. But did ever they wrestle the after that too? Uh, or was yeah, it just that one big one? No, I think... Who won? Well, who do you think won? I mean, Andre put Hogan over because it was better for business. So. Why was it better for business? 
Well, because Andre can barely walk. So Andre's not going to be able to carry the company. He knew he was kind of done. So let's make sure Hogan gets over and then he can keep going for the company. Andre probably should not have been wrestling when he wrestled Hogan. So Hogan won. Hogan beat him. He slammed him. Oh. And as Hogan says. I like Andre the Giant more yeah, than I like Hulk Hogan. That's why it was hard for me to watch it. I like them both. But I didn't like how he took the thing with Rocky Balboa so damn seriously. Well, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, it's for it's for the fans. No, he did. He took it way too seriously. Body slam Balboa. Balboa was like, "All right, I'm gonna hit you here." <laughs> that hurt? Was that okay? Was that too hard? You know, it was ridiculous. Thunderlips, the ultimate male versus Scared the shit out of me. The ultimate meatball. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Why is he on a chair? He's not. He's walking. <laughs> Hogan's never looked bigger than that. Oh, God, he was huge in that movie. But he, he it was supposed to be a exhibition. Yes. It was supposed to be fun. Yeah, it's pro wrestling. He took man. it way too seriously, and he almost hurt Rocky Balboa. It did kind of scare me as a kid, Scared too. the shit out of me. But he did take the picture with his son at the end. Yeah, yeah. How about that Polaroid? <laughs> okay, sure. But Hogan said when he picked Andre up, he could hear vertebrae, like, Oh. Popping one at a he time. He could really pick Andre the Giant up? With help, obviously. I don't know if you know it's not real. It's, you know, scripted. So Andre had to jump a little bit, to, you know, to help. to help. So he, he scooped him, but Andre kind of helped but him still, a little. still, you... Yeah, no, it's 500 pounds of dead weight. That's, yeah. Dead weight? That's a lot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty big guy right, to right, slam. Peace. Yeah. All right, peace. I've got three. I've got Ryan Miner, the Baltimore Orioles infielder who became part of baseball history. Why? I don't know. When Cal Ripken's streak ended, yeah. Ryan Miner played third base. Really? Yeah. Ryan Miner was the guy who came in for Cal Ripken to end the uh, the Iron Man streak. He was 49 years old uh. after a fight with cancer, died, a former University of Oklahoma star and a big leaguer with the Baltimore Orioles. Ryan and I shared a wonderful moment, Cal Ripken said, but I'll always remember him as a friend and a terrific teammate. He made a positive impact on everybody who knew him. His family is in my thoughts at this very difficult time. Ryan Miner was 49 years old. Don Schumacher, ever heard of him? Sounds familiar. A drag racing legend. Yeah. Died on Wednesday after their battle with lung cancer, 79 mm. years old. He was a top funny car driver in the 1960s and 70s, but left the sport altogether in the early 70s to help grow Schumacher Electric, the company that turned into a massive success hmm. with plants across the globe, including U.S., China, Mexico, and wow. Belgium. Impressive. He was 79 years old. Laura Lynch. Yeah, I got that a one. A founding member of the Dixie Chicks. Yep. 65 years old. Musician was killed in a car crash near El Paso, Texas. Awful. It was just what you you think of when you come home from the gorge. Car was trying to pass another car on a two-way, undivided portion Ugh. of a highway. Didn't get back in time. Didn't get back in time. Yeah. Head-on collision, and Lynch was 65 she's, years old. She's the one that left in 95, and they got Natalie Maines instead of her. Then yeah, once they got know. Natalie Maines, the lead singer. I probably would know know them if you showed me pictures I mean, of them. Yeah. God love Laura Lynch, but when, once they got Natalie Maines, they, that's when they skyrocketed. Oh, really? Natalie's insanely talented. But yeah, founding member and played the stand-up bass, and yeah, okay. it's... 65 years old. That's uh, in a car crash. In a car crash, right? And the days when there's like airbags in the seatbelts. I mean, it's like cars are safer than ever. Around somebody in the dark like uh, that. Gosh, I know. Do you got Nick and Aaron Carter's sister, Bobby Jean Carter? I saw that, but I don't have it on my sheet. Tell me. 
So the exact circumstances of Bobby's death are unclear, but we know she passed away Saturday morning in Florida. She suffered from addiction and substance abuse over the years and something that was documented on TV because I think her brothers had a TV show and okay. she continued to battle into her late years of adulthood. Sorry 41. I feel sorry for the those yeah. parents. Losing Been through kids. hell. Yeah, I mean. Hell and back. Two kids now. Yeah, yeah. And then I have legendary LA radio DJ, Jim Ladd, dies at 75 years Jim old. Jim Ladd. So he's the supposed inspiration for the Tom Petty song in the album title, The Last DJ. Oh. The song's about a, a DJ who plays music from his gut. He's not told what to play. He knows a goddamn hit when he hears it, and I'm going to play it. <laughs> like DJs used to back in the day. They had okay. a good ear for that shit. Yeah. Anyway, he, he'd been with Sirius XM since 2012 as one of the few freeform rock DJs still going in right. radio. He's, I mean, he worked in radio for more than 50 years. He was at KMET and all these stations. So Jim Ladd, 75 years old. Mm. Mm. Mike Nussbaum, a local, or local, a longtime character actor, passed away. One of the oldest living actors still working in the biz in recent years, having recently performed in some plays of late. But his on-camera resume is insanely impressive. You know, Men in Black, Fatal Attraction, Field of Dreams, TV show after TV show. He was a legend in the local theater scene in Chicago and was 99 years old, a week away from reaching 100 years old. So rest in peace to Mike Nussbaum. Any chance that we can get the last set of headlines of 2023 from Hotshot Scott on Mitch Unfiltered? A New Jersey bride wasn't the only one blushing during her wedding. While being escorted down the aisle by her father, uh -huh. his pants fell to expose oh, his stark white undies. <laughs> the good news is it was only a brief encounter. Men are less aggressive. <laughs> a new study shows that men are less aggressive after smelling women's tears. Tears. According to this new study. Hey, no wonder I sleep so well at night. <laughs> a passenger hid bullets in a baby diaper at New York's LaGuardia what? Airport and TSA Bullets in a baby diaper? Yeah, worst Smashing Pumpkin song ever, but talk about a loaded diaper. And finally. And finally in 2023. A Satan club plans to meet after classes at a Tennessee elementary school. Mm. People in that town are okay with it for now. Unless Satan dresses up in drag. I get it. I get it. All right. Happy New Year to uh, the Sodans and all of our listeners. Same for the Levy. This is it for Mitch Unfiltered in 2023. Although there'll be some, uh, some bonus shows this week, I think. By the way, how about you and I seeing each other out? Yeah. How weird was that? Like, you and I love to talk about how we never go out, which is true, probably. And yet we're at the same uh, freaking restaurant. I hang out. You hide under your desk. No, I go out. Oh, you do? Okay. Every well. once in a while. I don't go holiday shopping like apparently you do. Well. With, like, random teenage a, girls. That was against my will. Huh? That was against my will, that, that shopping trip. <laughs> yeah. That was under duress, as I call it. But, yes, when you have a 14-year-old daughter, the mall becomes a... Uh, a place they want to go. You know what? I never discussed what I promised Brett Levy I would discuss with you, so we'll we'll hold it for the next show. Uh -oh. I'll tease it right now. Okay. Brett is very, very upset about restaurants that don't have your order ready when you order it online and then go and pick it up. And it tells you it's going to be ready at a certain time. Oh. And then you get there, and they're doing everything except for making your meal. So we'll talk about that. Okay. We will talk about that in our next episode. Episode 268, the last one of 2023, is in the books.